Warmer from Lilo. Welcome to Lovely Las Vegas for Jessica Soups with myself, Greg Eubes, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Got a great podcast for you. It's in the second segment. We are going to be joined by Sean Paul of Making the Madness. Does absolutely terrific work over there with the Field of 68 and his own podcast, the Making the Madness Podcast. We're going to be chatting with him just about what we've seen in general this season, how there's really no top team. If he thinks that there's a team that has separated themselves, and then the marquee teams are going to be hitting the floor on Wednesday, and along with that, some of the big mid-majors as well. So we're going to be hitting on teams like Vermont, Princeton. So we're going to be diving into some of those teams that might be able to make you some money in March, and then in the final segment, going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Wednesday as we hit some bank shots. First things first, always love to be able to answer Twitter questions on this podcast. And we got one or two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at Jaren Squirty1. Keep in mind, letters CM. Maybe it does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. And the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. Find that five star review. Did not wind up getting in anything today, but had a great day of college basketball on Tuesday. So let's take a look back at it. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. According to David Warlock, who is the NCAA Director of Media Coordination and Statistics, Florida State has now won 13 straight overtime games in all-time record in D1 basketball, and this one might have been the biggest of them as they wind up taking down Duke in overtime by a count of 79-78. to For the Blue Devils in this game, they were up at the half, but what allowed Florida State to be able to win this game, 19 offensive rebounds to 7 of Duke. As Duke, they do wind up being able to go 10 of 13 from 3 point range, but for Florida State, just 5 turnovers in this game. Duke had 15, and that had really been their forte. day. Paul Banchero, solid game, 20 points, 12 boards, 7 assists, did have 4 turnovers though, and Wendell Moore has been starting to regress a little bit, 13 points, he had 4 turnovers himself, and for Florida State, how about Caleb Mills, 18 points, he was able to chip in there a pair of threes, and Florida State goes 20 of 25 at the free throw line, so they get it done out there in an ACC that, let's call it what it is, it has not looked very strong, Miami might actually be the number two team in that conference. Right now, they are atop the ACC standings, 85-57. to They just completely dumped North Carolina in this game. Armando Baco was able to give you 15 points and 12 boards for North Carolina. That's really the only positive thing I could say about them. They went 6-30 of 30 from three-point ranger for Miami. Nobody guard the arc against them. 13-28 of 28 from distance. Sam Wardenberg had 21 points. Isaiah Wong had 25 points at 8 boards. Cam McGussey, 20 points, 4 steals, 4 assists, 10 rebounds. Cam McGussey had as many steals as Miami did turnovers at 4. So, that is North Carolina not coming through there. North Carolina also had 14 turnovers, so that was a little bit brutal. Clemson is starting to come back to the pack as Syracuse won to be able to get to 9-9, and 91-78 to the final. For Clemson, they didn't guard the arc at all. 9-22 of 22 from three-point range for Syracuse as Syracuse was able to get a combined 48 points from Joe Girard and Buddy Bayon. Jesse Edwards and Jimmy Bayon both gave you double-doubles. They combined for 21 rebounds and 28 points. And for Clemson, you figured there'd be a little bit of regression with their three-point shooting. They entered in this game right around 38% as a collective. They go 8 of 27 from distance. P.J. Hall, 19 points, 11 rebounds. But another bad night at the office for them. A good night at the office of our New York Post play, though, as Texas Tech winds up winning and covering against Iowa State by a count of 72 to 60. 
very much a low-scoring early part of this game. And then Texas Tech wound up just putting on a big run. They wound up getting up in this game by like 19, 20 points before Iowa State did a little bit of window dressing at the end. And for the Cyclones, they're right around 150th in the country with regards to points on a per-possession basis. They wound up going 5 of 26 from three-point range, and that was with Caleb Grill going 4 of 8 from three. So where's that name, Caleb Grill? Wound up going 1 of 18 from three-point range for Iowa State. They did a good job of turning over Texas Tech, 13 turnovers, but they themselves had 16 turnovers, and for Texas Tech, they were able to go 29 of 38 at the free line, so the aggressiveness of Iowa State did not wind up paying off there. Vanderbilt very nearly was able to pull off an upset against Tennessee, but game got away from them late. 68-60 to was the final. This game was 60-60 to with a buck 22 left. For those of you like me that want to take the points with Vanderbilt, Tennessee in the final buck 20 or so winds up going on an 8-0 to run. They went 25-29 at the free throw line, so that was brutal. Scotty Pippen Jr., he had 18 points in this one, and for Vanderbilt, they went 8 of 26 from three-point range. Meanwhile, for the Volunteers, they wound up going just 5 of 23 from three, but Santiago Viscovi, he went 3 of 5 from distance, which means the rest of the team was 2 of 18, but what was big for them, when well, you were able to get off the bench from Zakai Ziegler, he was able to come through with 11 points, 4 steals, 3 rebounds as Vanderbilt in this one. 21 turnovers. That was their ultimate undoing. If you want a really, really bad undoing and a game of which was just completely gas canned at the end, how about East Carolina? Up 20 points in the second half and they blow it against Central Florida. This is one we were on the right side of. 92 to 85, the final. Central Florida goes 15 of 30 from three point range. And for East Carolina, they went 9 of 23 from distance. Tristan Newton had himself a game, 27 points. And off the bench, you were able to get 14 points out of RJ Felton. But for Central Florida, they overcome the fact that they had 14 turnovers because for East Carolina, I don't know about you, but they were feeling 22 with regards to the amount of turnovers in this game. They actually win the rebound battle 35-32, to but for Central Florida, you wound up having 19 apiece from Darius Perry along with Brandon Mayhem. Darren Green Jr. was off his game, but off the bench, you were able to get 16 points out of Darius Johnson to be able to get Central Florida to the win. This one was a push for a lot of people. Closing line was anywhere between 18 and 19. Houston gets a win over South Florida by kind of 74 to 55 for South Florida. 722 from three-point range. And this is a team that all of a sudden, they've been doing a little bit better to the over after, I believe it was each other first 11 games wound up going under. I think that they played just one under ever since then. DJ Patrick came off the bench, went 5 and 10 from distance, 19 points. He's been turning it up, for, but for Houston, about what you're able to get out of Kyler Edwards. 23 points, 7 boards. Four assists. He wound up going 6 of 11 from three-point range. Houston looking very solid, even with all the injuries that they've sustained. Northwestern, they are now 1-5 and five this calendar year. They get a non-cover against Wisconsin, 82-76 to 76 for Johnny Davis. 27 points, goes 4 of 5 from distance. He did wind up getting a little bit careless with his three turnovers. Wisconsin overall did wind up having 11, but for Wisconsin, 9 of 17 from long range. Meanwhile, for Northwestern, Chase Odige was able to give you 23 points, but they wound up not being able to win the battle on the glass. They lose that by kind of 36 to 35, just eight turnovers for them, but... Wisconsin, with their outside shooting, wound up just burying this Northwestern squad, so that was an issue. If you, like me, laid three and a half with Kansas, this one was a little bit of a tough one as Kansas was in control of this game throughout much of it. Oklahoma was able to make a nice run late, and for Kansas, just unable to close this thing out at the free line. 67-64 was the final. For Kansas, they go 8-17 of 17 from three-point range. 
you do wind up having Jalen Wilson go off for 16 points, 8 boards, and then you take a look at Oklahoma. Just 4 of 17 from 3-point range, but the way that they held in there, Kansas had 13 turnovers, Oklahoma's 11. And big note in this one is the fact that you did wind up seeing the return of Remy Martin came on off the bench. Only 15 minutes in this game. Got to figure that this was just a way to be able to ease him back. And for Oklahoma, you did wind up having 15 points, three steals, and four assists out of Jordan Goldwire while he only had one turnover in this game. So, going to be very intriguing to see how this winds up going moving forward. Texas is back to being a disappointment. 66-65, they lose on their home court to Kansas State, and really, they just blew this game. They did not score in the final 332. They were up 65-60. to Actually had a shot to be able to cover at that point, a line of right around like 10, 10 and a half-ish, but instead... Well, things did not go well. Marcus Carr, he has not been working out for Texas, but he did in this game wind up having 25 points. He wind up having four turnovers, but he actually was the lone guy that really did his part aside from Timmy Allen with 15 points. But for Texas, 4 of 17 from three-point range against State. They go 7 of 18 as Mark Smith was the best player out there on the floor for them. 22 points, 8 boards. You wind up having Nigel Pack pack it in. 16 points for this team and... For the bench, you wind up having 13 points from Mike McGurl. He did wind up committing four fouls in this game, but was able to do a very solid job. Got the job done there. For Loyal Chicago, by the way, they wind up getting down early in this game by a count of 6-0, but boy, oh boy, they were able to put it on late. 77-48, they take down a pretty pathetic Evansville team. Evansville loses this game by nearly 30 while going 8-22 of from three-point range, but they got bludgeoned on the glass. They lose by a count of 30-21, to and for Loyal... They go 10 of 17 from three-point range. Lucas Williamson with 15 points in this contest off the bench. Chris Knight was able to give you 12 points. Just such a well-rounded team. This team is just a machine at this point. So got to give them a lot of credit. Got to give credit to UConn as well. Number one of jumping with them, and they were still able to cover it against Butler, 76 of 59. And right now, things are looking pretty sad and pathetic for Butler. Butler in this game, they shoot 30.5% from the floor. They actually didn't do a terrible job on the glass. They lost by a count of 49 to 39. But for UConn, what really led the way for them, Andre 3000 Jackson, he wound up having 12 points and 10 boards. And Adama Sinogo, he made the same go-go. Four blocks, 13 points, 15 rebounds. You were able to get double digits off the bench out of Tommy Polly along Jordan Hawkins as well. So UConn showed their might there. For those of you guys that wound up diving into the lone non-conference game, IUPUI put the PU in IUPUI. They were actually doing a halfway decent job in this game. It was about 30-22 to 22 with three minutes left in the first half. And IUPUI... Fails to score in the final six plus minutes of this game. 654 without a single point as Ohio State closes the game on a 19-0 run. They cover north of 30 in this game. 83 to 37. Boy, oh boy, our friends IUPUI. They played, I believe now, 15 games against D1 foes, 16 games in total, and against D1 competition. They've broken the 60-point plateau once. Just absolutely embarrassing. Bakari Lestrap gave the team 12 points, but until further notice, IUPUI unders are looking very solid. Meanwhile, for Ohio State, 11 of 23 from three-point range. EJ Liddell had 13 points and 10 rebounds in 26 minutes. The bench guys were able to get into it. Cedric Russell had double figures. Eugene Brown the third was able to have himself a nice day. Heck, I think that some guy named Harrison Hoofkin wound up getting into this game as well, so... 
boy, that was just a really sad state of affairs out there. It was a good state of affairs for Baylor, even though they were without James Akinjo. They wind up pulling away from West Virginia late 77-68, to 68, the final. By the way, with West Virginia, going into this time last week against Oklahoma State, they were shooting as a collective 61% at the free throw line. They've now had three straight games in which they've been amazing at the free throw line, so keep note of that. Malik Curry came in off the bench for West Virginia with 19 points, but... This was the best game of the year for Matthew Meyer. 20 points, 4 steals, 2 assists, 4 rebounds. All in all, Baylor was able to play even up on the glass, but where they wound up separating themselves, 12 of 27 from 3-point range. Meyer went 5 of 8. LJ Cryer, 5 of 9 from the outside. You did wind up having Adam Flagler come out with a couple of turnovers early, but he was able to rein it in, and that allowed the Bears of Baylor to be able to get to the window in this one. You wound up having Iona open up right around a point, point and a half favorite. They wind up closing a three and a half point favorite, and that was significant as Iona wound up having a lot of control in this game against Monmouth, but Monmouth was able to force overtime. Iona was unable to cover at the free throw line, 86-85 the final. So Monmouth has now covered all but three of their games this season after they got just completely destroyed by Maris. A much better effort here now. They went 19-30 from the free throw line. Monmouth did for Iona, 13-17, of so they were able to do a relatively saw a job there. The reason why Monmouth held in this game, 7 turnovers of 16 of Iona. Iona won the rebound battle by a count of 46 of 35 and for Iona. You wound up having Elijah Joyner just go off in this game. 24 points, 4 assists, 5 rebounds. He did an absolutely terrific job. And for Monmouth, George Pappas, Shavar Reynolds, 21 points apiece. These are two very good teams out there in the Metro Atlantic, so going to be worth keeping our eyes on there. Davidson, they wound up closing as right around a two and a half point underdog in this game, and they wind up pulling off the outright win against VCU. They really didn't trail too much until late in this game. VCU gets up by kind of 59 to 53 with about five and a half minutes remaining, and then from there, they just scored two points the rest of the way for Davidson. It's really been an effective offensive team. They went eight of 16 from three point range. Yeah, they did have 17 turnovers in this game. That is the VCU special, but for VCU, Ace Baldwin did his part 10 points. Five steals, seven assists, but you wind up having VCU wind up losing their rebound battle by a count of 32 to 20. For Davidson, you wind up having Luka Bravic be the best player in this game. 19 points, five boards, and Davidson. They're worthy of being in the top 25, in my opinion. Why they're not in there, I have no idea. They've already won against Alabama. They've got other impressive wins on their resume. They take it to them. South Carolina looking like a very sad and pathetic team. Arkansas takes them down 75 to 59 for South Carolina. You just don't have a lot of discipline when it comes to this team. They wind up committing in this game 18 turnovers as you wind up having 6 turnovers out of Devin Carter. Why he's getting significant minutes, I have absolutely no idea. I do think that they're probably dealing with Jermaine Kuznar being out once again. And for Arkansas, how about J.D. Note being able to give the team 17 points, 7 boards, 5 assists. Arkansas, they wind up going over 11 from 3-point range and they still win and cover this game. So that tells you where they're at. Michigan, a little bit of a better performance against Maryland. 83-64 to the final. It's Hunter Dickinson, 21.6 rebounds in his return at Maryland. Well, they're right now just flat out not looking good. They did go 6 of 17 from 3-point range. Dante Scott had 19.6 boards and Eric Ayala 22 points, and he had zero rebounds, zero assists, zero steals, and three turnovers to go with those points. So, thanks for contributing in other ways, buddy. And for Michigan, just eight turnovers in this game. You could tell that the return of Hunter Dickinson made a relatively big difference in this game. And if you're looking for a difference maker, how about Bowling Green taking down Northern Illinois by kind of 92-83? to Relatively solid cover in that game. Kelsey Bakersfield, they were able to get a 73-60 to win over Cal Poly. They looked relatively solid in that game. And Eastern Michigan, number one team with regards to possessions per game, held up 47 points. Absolutely insane, the lack of efficiency that we are currently seeing from Eastern 
Eastern Michigan. They wound up going 11 of 43 from the floor, and they made 11 shots, and they had 19 turnovers. So that sort of tells you the state of affairs out there. Got to give a little bit of love, by the way, to Liberty. I can't forget. Darius McGee, 27 points in this game. This guy is right now on the one of the biggest burner runs that you will see. He's now had at least 16 points in each out of the team's last 11 games. He has been able to get to at least 21 points in, I believe, now nine of them. This guy is just absolutely ridiculous. And for Jacksonville, a team that was playing some relatively solid defense, the good news is they did at one point have a 14-5 lead. The bad news is they wound up giving up 83 points in the final 28 minutes of this game. So we wind up seeing some very great results out there in college basketball. And if you're just taking a look trend-wise at college basketball, we have been seeing unders be able to hit a little bit more frequently because if you look at the last 30 days, overs have had their fun. 481 and 432 are overs. Home underdogs are only 152, 146, and 4 against the spread in the last 30 days. But you take a look at the last 7 days, and now home underdogs in these last 7 days, 68, 57, and 2. Unders, 180 of them to 144 overs. That's a 55.6% clip to the under. I think we're going to see more of that moving forward. And what we're going to be seeing moving forward with some of these top teams is going to be very intriguing as well. That's why we're calling in Sean Paul of Making the Madness. Does a great job over there at the field of 68. Does an amazing job with his own podcast, Making the Madness. That podcast, you're able to get that wherever you find this podcast. He's going to be joining me next. We're going to be talking about that. And looking forward to Wednesday's games next year on Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Pearson. Now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. In just a few taps in the Angie app or clicks on the site. You can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. Renters, you can use Angie too for moving, installations, or cleaning. Angie can even help with extremely specific projects. Just tell them what you need, and Angie will find the right solution for you. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com, or download the app today. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for Coach Go Soups with myself, Peggy Pearson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast, and it is great to be joined by our guests at this man does a terrific job over there at the Field of 68. He also does his own podcast called Making the Madness. You're able to catch that wherever you wind up getting podcasts. As it is Sean Paul who's able to join me. And that is Sean with an S-E-A-N, not an S-H. Always want to make that 
Oh, yeah. Known as his Twitter handle is at Sean Paul CBB. And Sean, it is always a pleasure to have you aboard. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, happy to be here, Greg. Definitely always glad to join. Great to have you aboard, and it is great that we've got so much terrific college basketball action. And when it comes to the race for number one, where do you stand on this? Because I personally feel like there's seven or eight teams that are within, if you put them on a neutral court, two points of each other. I don't think that there's a clear number one. I'm not sure if anyone's really caught your eye, but I do feel like there is just a lot of great teams in college basketball, mm-hmm. but not one team that really stands out. Yeah, very reminiscent to the 2019-2020 season where, you know, there's a bunch of teams at the top. Kansas kind of pulled away a little bit near the end of the season there before COVID canceled everything. But you had Gonzaga, you had Dayton, you had San Diego State, you had Baylor. You had all these teams in the mix, and they were clearly all really good. But, you know, a bunch of different people would have had different selections on their bracket because that's just the kind of year it was. But last year, it always seemed destined to be Gonzaga or Baylor that was going to win it all. And this year, AP poll ranking wise, I wasn't going to have an issue whether it was Gonzaga or Auburn ranked number one. Personally, I would rank Gonzaga number one because I didn't think. Auburn did anything worth jumping Gonzaga, and that's kind of why why kept Gonzaga or why put Gonzaga number one because Gonzaga scored 110 points in three consecutive games. Like I just would have felt weird dropping them or keeping them in the same spot after that kind of performance. But Auburn, they have the best resume in the country, so it's totally reasonable to have them number one. But like Kansas, I think they might end up being the third best team in the country because Jalen Wilson's starting to get it going. David McCormick's got it going recently. Remy Martin returned, and Oshai Abaji and Christian Brown are two of the better wing players in college basketball. So Kansas might end up being the best team in the country when it's all said and done. But for now, I'm going to go with Gonzaga and Baylor as the top two. Yeah, it certainly is a little bit of a tough call. And when it comes to Baylor, we did wind up seeing them be able to get that win on Tuesday. And they wound up doing that without James Akinjo, which I thought Mm -hmm. was very intriguing. But when it comes to Baylor, I do feel a little bit jaded with regards to their free throw shooting. And it does feel like it's not the same offensive team as last year. But they feel a little bit better on defense as well. I think that they're going to be one of the more intriguing case studies. And do you think that they might wind up actually getting hurt a little bit when it comes to perhaps like NCAA tournament seating, just because I take a look at best conferences in college basketball. I think that the big 12's head and shoulders is the biggest gauntlet for any team to go through. It depends. Like, obviously, Gonzaga, who knows if they're going to lose the rest of the year? Probably not. Like, I think they have the clearest path to the number one overall seed. Obviously, the WCC is much improved this season, but it's not the Big 12. There is no other conference right now like the Big 12. So will it be surprising if Baylor enters a tournament with, like, six or seven losses, five losses? No, I wouldn't be surprised by that at all. And what that comes down to is they'll probably still be a one seed. Uh, just probably not the number one overall seed, but I think overall they'll be fine. I don't think that'll impact them too much. Going to be really interesting to see how that race for the four number one seeds winds up going as well, because I'm personally someone that I am in on Arizona. I really like what I've seen out of them. I agree Sean, with that. As we do have Sean Paul, he does a great job over there with the field of 68, along with making the Madness podcast, joining me on the podcast. And what is truly madness is, What to make out of Alabama is they're going to be hitting the floor on Wednesday. It just feels like it's an Alabama team that on any given night, they can knock off anyone. And on any given night, they can lose to anyone. They have taken now three straight losses, one of which wound up coming to Missouri. But their last win actually wound up coming on the road against Florida. They wound up having that terrific win against Gonzaga. But they also lost to Iona. They also lost to Memphis earlier this season. I'm not sure what you make out of this team and this game in general because 
Alabama is actually the favorite out here in Las Vegas by about two and a half points in this game, but it is an Alabama team that they just seem like the most inconsistent team in all of college basketball right now. They need a win here, I'll say that, because if they lose here, that's four consecutive losses, one being to Missouri, who's a very bad team, Mississippi State's a tournament team, and obviously Auburn's one of the better teams in the country. LSU is great too, but if you're 11-7, and the losses at Davidson and Iona, who are both very good teams, but still, you got to win games like that if you're going to have a solid seat in the NCAA tournament. Alabama doesn't want to stack these losses up, but I don't know what to make out of them. Like, I think they're a really good team when they're making shots. They just don't make shots that often right now. They're shooting 31.8% from three on the season, and all Nate Oates teams are high volume three-point shooting teams. They've just been really inconsistent shooting the basketball. They haven't been as good defensively either without Herbert Jones, but until the three-point shooting improves, I'm not in on this Alabama team. Yeah, Alabama has been a very fascinating case study, to say the least, and for LSU, I think one of the biggest shockers of this entire college basketball season is the fact that they are number one in the country with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis going into this game. I tell you right now, I certainly did not wind up seeing that coming, so it's going to be fascinating to see how that one winds up playing out. And then I also think that this game is going to be intriguing as well. Kentucky's going to be going on the road against Texas A&M now. Texas A&M, when it comes to strength of schedule, it has not been terrific, but the teams that have been put in Texas A&M's path they have been able to knock them off. They are currently undefeated out there in the SEC, a 15-2 team. But they've got Kentucky, Oscar Sheway and company coming to town. Not sure how you wind up seeing this game, but I think Texas A&M hangs in there. I don't think they get the outright win, but I could see this being a game in which it's like four or five points in the final minute leading to like late game fouling. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be that close. I'm not very in on this Texas A&M team, despite their 15-2 and record. They have all the feeling of like a 21-22 win team that makes the NIT. That's kind of the vibes I get from them. I don't think they're a tournament team. And part of the reason why is because, yeah, like you said, their strength of schedule is really bad. They have 15 wins, but their best win is against Notre Dame, who... Right now, maybe a tournament team, but probably not. And then outside of that, they have a win over Arkansas, who isn't great either. They've certainly disappointed this year. Then you look at their other wins. They don't have another win inside the top 100 in Ken Palm. So they have a bunch of wins against teams that aren't very good. So they've been able to win games that they should win, but they don't have any quality wins, which hurts you when it comes to making the NCAA tournament. When it comes to Texas A&M, it's going to be really intriguing to see what they wind up doing moving forward because if they wind up getting a win on Wednesday, it's going to be absolutely massive. But things are going to get much, much tougher from here for Buzz Williams' squad as we do have Sean Paul making the madness joining me on the podcast. And Sean, when it comes to what we're going to be seeing on Wednesday as well, we ran through a couple ranked teams, but this is going to be really intriguing, in my opinion, the Marquette versus Villanova game. Because with Villanova, they wound up beginning the year as one of those top teams in all of college basketball. Wound up taking the early losses. Now here they are having won six straight games. Looked like the Biggies is going to be going through them. But under the radar, Marquette has been able to win four straight games. And all of these games, aside from that game that they wound up playing against Seton Hall, have been by double digits, including just a curb stopping against Providence. Prior to that, their loss against Creighton wanted coming in double overtime. I think that Villanova is going to be able to pull off this game, but with the Vegas number out here at 12 and a half, 
I think Marquette is going to be able to stay within that. I think that Marquette is actually providing some relatively solid fight right now. That's a good way to describe them. They show a lot of fight. They're a really scrappy team. They like forcing turnovers. But against Villanova, I don't know how many turnovers they'll be able to force. But near the end of the game situation, maybe the lack of depth Villanova has could come to hurt them a little bit. And Marquette will be able to cover that 12.5 number. I think it could be like an eight, nine point game, but I think Villanova wins pretty comfortably. Yep, I do think that Villanova is going to be able to pull it off. And I personally wound up saying this at 11. So it's on okay, one of these right. cases in which I think that Marquette is going to go out there and they're going to be able to pull off the outright win. I'm thinking that 12 and a half, though, just a little bit too rich yeah, for that's my That's a lot of points, yeah. Yeah, I mean, especially when it comes to a Villanova team that they rank in the bottom 25 with regards to possessions per game. And it really feels like it is the slowest squad that Jay Wright has ever had. And I do think that that is going to cause for some issues with this team that we've already seen pop up in games like they wound up having against UCLA. I do think that their lack of tempo might wind up actually hurting them in the end. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously just a game between two teams that play vastly different tempos. So like you said, that'll be a big uh, interesting thing to watch in this one. Sean, I know that you do a great job of taking a look at a lot of these mid-major programs as well. And when it comes to teams that are outside those power conferences, who has really been standing out that catches your eye? Because we have seen a lot of, shall we say, herky-jerkiness when it comes to -to out-of-conference play. For me, a team that really stands out is Murray State. What they wound up doing on Saturday to Belmont was incredibly impressive. But I know you've been doing a great job of taking a look at some of these little guys. Is there a team or two that isn't getting the love that they deserve that is really coming to mind for you? Princeton is probably the number one for me. I've talked about this team quite a bit. I like what they have. They're top 10 nationally in effective field goal percentage. They're top 15 nationally in turnover rate. So they don't turn the ball over. They make a lot of baskets. They play quick. And obviously that Princeton offense is tough to stop. Tosani Woma, their forward, who he's like the point guard of the Princeton offense. You have that five man running the show most of the time. He's just a big time player, super athletic, great ball handling ability, six foot eight. He can drive to the basket. He can pass the ball. He can defend. He does everything you want. He's the Ivy League player of the year right now in my eyes. Jalen Llewellyn, former four-star recruit. He's been a great player. And then you have three shooters across the perimeter. Drew Freiberg, Ryan Langborg, and Ethan Wright that have all been very valuable to Princeton's attack this year. So I think Princeton is definitely a team that can make some noise in the NCAA tournament. Obviously, in the Ivy League, it's, it's a little different because the conference tournament only has four teams. So they don't have as many obstacles to jump through compared to other teams in other leagues. Yeah, I think that when you take a look at the Ivy League, it is going to be fascinating to see how that winds going as well because I do think that Brown is a team that could be able to make a little bit of noise if they wind up being able to make like an NCAA tournament. We saw them give North Carolina a few fits as well, a team that they don't necessarily have a ton of offense, but Tamanang Cho has been a little bit banged up with him firing all cylinders. I think that they're going to be a very intriguing team as well. And then I take a look at a team that is going to be on the floor on Wednesday in Colgate. They're going to be playing against Bucknell. And this has been one of the more disappointing teams in all of college basketball. But I think a lot of this had to do with the fact that Nellie Cummings was out due to injury towards the beginning part of the year. And if Colgate is fired all cylinders, they make the NCAA tournament as like a 15 seed. I'm not saying that they're going to be Oral Roberts by any stretch of the imagination, but that's a team that I would not want to see on my side of the bracket. Yeah, it was tough to know what Colgate was going to look like because of how valuable Jordan Burns was for them throughout the past number of years, throughout those NCAA tournament teams that they've had in recent seasons. Uh, Nelly Cummings has been really good, but like you said, he's missed some games here. They have Jack Ferguson, who's been around for a while. He's able to hit shots. Keegan Records and Jeff Woodward inside. Woodward has not been as good as 
as he was last year, but they just don't have as much. Like these were all guys that were there last year and they were all good role players. Now they all have to take a step up without Jordan Burns. Some of them haven't been able to. That's just a big transition to make. I still think they could certainly win the Patriot League because of their shooting ability. But that league is wide open. I like Boston, but they've lost some games recently. They have five senior starters. Navy and Army are both really solid. Loyola Maryland is really solid. So there's a lot of teams in that league that can win it this year. It's, it's interesting because it's been Colgate and Boston running the league throughout the past couple of years. Yep, the Patriot League does have a lot more competition this season. I don't feel like this conference has much competition, though, as you take a look at Vermont, and this team is just steamrolling teams right now. I've got to ask you this. How in the world has Vermont scored over 78 points in each other last four games? Because this is a Vermont team that – it's not like they cranked up their tempo. They're still a bottom 40 team with regards to possessions per game in all of college basketball. But this team, along with Liberty, I'll give Liberty a little bit of credit here as well. They're both super slow teams, but both of these teams have been putting up points upon points and they look like some of the most efficient offenses for this pace that I've ever seen. I mean, John Becker's just a tremendous coach. He's definitely going to get some looks at some high major jobs or higher mid-major jobs next season and throughout the next couple of years because he's just been able to make Vermont the clear best team in the America East every year. I was on the Stony Brook hype train. I had them winning the league in the preseason. That was incorrect. I will say that. Definitely not going to happen. I won't say definitely. Very unlikely to happen because Vermont is just crushing everybody in that league right now. And if you think about it, they lost Steph Smith. That was a big loss because he was a great shooter. Finn Sullivan, the San Diego transfer, has really stepped into that, that role, and he's been solid. But when you get the player of the year back in the conference with Ryan Davis, who's likely to win the conference player of the year award again, then they're going to be the favorite in the league. Vermont has been incredibly impressive. And, Sean, when it comes to everything else that we're going to be seeing on Wednesday, is there another game or two that really catches your eye that we have yet to hit on? Because I do think that we've got some really good action for this college basketball Wednesday. Anything else that is really standing out to you? I'm going to say Xavier DePaul could be an interesting one because obviously Xavier's looked really solid this season. Paul Scruggs, Zach Fremantle, Colby Jones, that trio's done really good. Jack Nungy coming over from Iowa. But we look at DePaul, they won their most recent game in their first Big East game of the year. or they're, they're, They won one of their games last week. They lost to the other one, I believe. But they played Seton Hall and they were able to win that one at home. That's a big quality win for them. They're 10-6 and six right now. I don't think they're a tournament team, maybe an NIT team, but if they're able to stack up some of these home wins against ranked opponents, that could go a long way for them making the NCAA tournament. For DePaul, a team that has always been towards the bottom of the Big East, they've actually been able to do a little bit of something this year. And for Xavier, it's a team that I'm warming up on more and more. And a man that I am always warm on because this guy does absolutely terrific work is you, Sean. You do the Making the Madness podcast. You do great work over there at the field of 68. And I do know that you do quite a few ventures in general when it comes to college basketball. So love the good people at home. Know they're able to follow you on social media and just everything that you've got going on in general. Yeah, just follow me on Twitter at Sean Paul CBB. I host a weekly mid-major top 25 show on the field of 68 this week. Put the poll out. That's part of the show. And then have an interview every week. This week, I interviewed Darius McGee from Liberty at 48 points the other day against Florida Gulf Coast. So that was a good interview. Check all that out and make sure to follow me on Twitter. Sean doing absolutely terrific work following all things college basketball. Guy is a wealth of knowledge. Covers it all from the biggest schools in all of college basketball to a lot of little guys as well. And he's always appreciated on this podcast. So big thanks to him for joining me right here on Coast to Coast Soups. Now part of the VEASAN family podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis for every game on the betting board for this college basketball Wednesday as we hit some bank shots. 
at Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. With just a few taps on the app, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. It's your one-stop shop. Angie can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. They get the difficulties that can come with home projects. They get it. Why not make it as simple as possible? Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. And we're back here in Lovey Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops, and now a part of the Beats and Family Podcast. And it is always a pleasure to get Sean Paul on the podcast. Guys, an up-and-comer in the industry, does a great job with the Making the Madness podcast, does great work breaking down college basketball over there at the field of 68 and always delivers the goods on this podcast. So, big thanks to him. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis for every game on the betting board for this college basketball Wednesday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JRSquarty1. We are going to be going in Las Vegas Station, or this is where we go with the games with three digits first, and then the games with six digits are at the bottom. The games with six digits, these involve smaller conferences, the America East, Big South, the Northeastern Conference, and I do believe that we've got a little bit of Patriot League action in there as well. Everything else is in time order, and those games are in time order as well. Just a little bit of a line of demarcation when it comes to conferences, and the reason why I go in this order is that a lot of books do wind up listing games in this order, and when you wind up coming to Las Vegas, instead of saying, hey, I want to bet on Alabama, you'd instead say, I want the spread of Team 686 on the betting board, which is their rotation number. So that's why we do it this way, and we're going to be starting with that first game of 671, 672 on the betting board. Mississippi State hits the road face off against Florida. Florida is between a four and five point favorite, and your total on this game is anywhere between 138 and 139 and a half. Typically, I like to favor the home team in a lot of these spots. I'm a Mississippi State a one point favorite because Florida has just been really bad at home in the SEC in recent years, for one. And two, I just take a look at this Florida team. They seem a little bit broken. They did wind up getting the road win against South Carolina, but in every one of their step up games this year, they have not been good. This is a team that overall they're shooting 30.5% from three point range, 70% 
Bruce on the free throw line. I do like Colin Castleton, 15 and a half points, nine boards, right around 2.8 blocks per game. But you take a look at what you're able to get out of Mississippi State down low end. Tolu Smith seems to be back. He'll probably be injured in like two games. This guy just has not been able to stay healthy. But I mean, 13 points, seven rebounds is no joke. You've got Garrison Brooks along, DJ Jeffries on top of that. These two guys combined for 21 and a half points, right around 12 boards. You have got Mr. Garrison Brooks shooting right around 32% from three-point range. And then for Mississippi State, this is a team that is collective. Shoot 73.5% the free line, 33% from three. And this is with the Rocket Watts being a big giant Buster Rooney. Iverson Molinar has been kicking up with his three-point shooting right around 18 points, four and a half assists per game. I like what he's able to bring to the table, 16 plus points in each of the team's last six games. Shaquille Moore has been able to drain right around 11 points, making 35.5% of his threes. And you've even been able to get a couple more minutes out of some like an Anderson Garcia, who has become a little bit more of an integral part of this offense. So I do like Mississippi State in this spot. I think that they're going to be able to go on the road, get a win against a Florida team that just take a look at the backcourt. And Tyree Appleby has been relatively solid for the team. Three and a half assists per game, but also turns ball for two and a half times per game. You've got Anthony Derugy giving you nine points, hitting about 40% from three. But I mean, among the team's top six scores, he's the only one that's shooting above 36.5% from three. And Flindary Slumming is the only other one that shoots above 30.5% from distance. So I do think that that's going to be an issue. Florida does generate nine and a half seals per game. So I do think that's going to be a bit of an uglier game. So this little 135 as a result, Mississippi State also in the bottom 75 with regards possessions per game going under and taking Mississippi State outright on the money line. We move on to game number 673-674. Minnesota and Penn State postpone game. No money to be made here. So we go to 675-676. St. Joe's is going to be playing us to George Washington. Our nation's first president is finding themselves a 9.5 point underdog. And your tallest game is anywhere between 143 and 143.5. George Washington wound up playing their last game shorthanded. They were without Ricky Lindo Jr. due to COVID-19 concerns. So that is not necessarily terrific for this team. It sounds as though they might be without Brendan Adams as well. Someone who has, for the season, been able to give the team 10 points per game. So you're likely going to see like a six or seven man rotation for George Washington with your main guy being James Bishop. James Bishop, 16 points per game, not a great three-point shooter overall. It's a George Washington team that they shoot about 29% from three-point range. You're really not going to have anyone other than Mr. Brayon Freeman, who's able to shoot north of 30% from distance. But he's been able to give the team double figures in each of the last five games. Has done a better job with facilitating three-plus assists in four of the team's last five games, two-plus seals in four of those contests as well. And I take a look at St. Joe's, and I just can't get behind them being able to win this game by 10-plus points. I did wind up making them an 8.5-point favorite, and that's with including all the COVID-19 concerns that you've got on the George Washington side because St. Joe's doesn't have a lot of depth either. You've got John All, who's absolutely amazing. 6'7", do-it-all player, 16 points, 6.5 rebounds, 6.3 assists, 1.5 seals, shoots 37.5% from three. Taylor Funk brings a Funk, 42.5% three-point shooter, 13.5 points, 7.5 boards, good size, and then you get right around 7.5 boards out of Ajike Obiana. Wines coming in for Vanderbilt. 12.5 points per game out of him. So he's been able to do a relatively solid job, but is a very streaky player as well. And then you take a look at guys like Demir Bishop, Eric Reynolds. They have not been able to step up. Now to Reynolds' credit, he has been able to get the team 9 plus points in 4 of the team's last 5 games, but gets in massive foul trouble. Turns the ball over a lot. St. Joe's is a collective. They shoot 64.8% at the free throw line. 34% from 3. So despite George Washington being shorthanded, I think that they're going to hold in this game. George Washington 
rushing, not necessarily a fast team, but with all the guys being out, they're not going to be playing a lot of defense, and St. Joe's has been playing the Ole style of defense as well, and they play in the top 100 with regards to possessions per game, so made this total 146F, I'm looking at the over, and with St. Joe's, made them an 8.5 point favorite, so we'll take 9.5 with our nation's first president. We move on to 677, 678 on the betting board, as you've got Furman, and they are going to be playing also Western Carolina, Western Carolina, find themselves as a 16 to 17 point underdog in your tallest game is 152 and when it comes to Western Carolina set them at a 16 point underdog at 16 I would rather take the points rather than lay them it seems like Furman has been a little bit rudderless recently and when it comes to Western Carolina I do think that this team actually does have a little bit of talent because you do have Nicholas Robinson he winds up coming in from Valparaiso to be able to give the team 15 points, six half boards, 35% from three. It's been a constant for a team that, I mean, they've been able to put the ball in the basket. They've been just absolutely anemic on defense, and they are dealing with the fact that Travion McCray wound up entering into the transfer portal. His season is done. Joe Petrakis is someone that's right around six foot nine. comes in from Kansas State, just 34% from three, but only gives you three and a half rebounds per game, so Furman should have an edge there with Jalen Slauson just being a Swiss Army knife guy. 16 and a half points, seven and a half rebounds, four assists, two blocks, two steals per game now, only shoots about 27.5% from three-point range, but does a good job of flowing the offense. Also does a good job of not turning the ball over. You take a look at this Furman team as a collective. 11.8 turnovers per game. They do shoot 38.5% from three-point range with Alex Hunter being able to lead the charge along Conley Garrison. Garrison, 9.5 points, 4.8 rebounds, 2.6 assists per game, and then Hunter, 15.5 points, a little bit over 3 assists and a seal per game. Furman, they force right around 8.5 steals per contest. Western Carolina, not necessarily a stifling defense, but they do get right around 6 steals per contest, and I do think that Ventravius Wolbright is going to be able to excel for this team. 10.5 points, 6.5 rebounds, 4.5 assists, shooting about 32% from 3. Mike Bothwell, another double-digit score for Furman, so I do think that you're going to get points of plenty in this game. Set the total at 158. I'm looking at the over. And Furman, set them as a 16-point favorite at the 16. I would rather take it with Western Carolina rather than lay it with Furman, especially at the 17 that I'm seeing as well. Going to take the points here with Western Carolina to go along with that over. 679, 680 on the banging board. Mercer is going to be in the road face off against East Tennessee State. East Tennessee State is finding themselves as a 3.5-point favorite, seeing a straight 3 out there as well. So on this game, and between 142 and 142.5, and, and when it comes to East Tennessee State, set them as a 4.5-point favorite. When it comes to Mercer, you do have Felipe Haas, who's been able to do a terrific job. 15.5 points, 5.8 rebounds, Three and a half assists, shooting 49% from three point range, just absolutely superb. It's been able to give the team at least four assists in four of the team's last five games, so he's been able to step up with that regard. And then down low, you do have an East Tennessee State team that can be a little bit vulnerable, but you do have the Brewer brothers, Ladarius and Ty Brewer. They've been able to combine for 22 and a half points, right in the pocket of about 12 and a half boards. You got Ladarius shooting 35% for three, and all in all, East Tennessee State they shoot 73 and a half percent at the charity stripe, 34 and a half percent from three-point range. David Sloan is able to give you four and a half assists, 1.8 steals per game, and 12 and a half points per game. And then Jordan King, 12 and a half points per contest. Both of these guys shoot 41.9% from three-point range. Now with East Tennessee State, they do turn the ball over 13 times per game. And for Mercer, they have been without their main point guard, Imnatelli Alvarez. They commit 13 turnovers per game as well. But Mercer, they do shoot 76% at the free line. They do shoot right in the neighborhood, about 37% from three-point range with Jalen Johnson. The transfer from the ACC and SEC, 14 and a half points, five boards. He has been terrific for this team, but can be a little bit of a streaky player himself. You've got a little bit of a situation which you need a little bit more facilitation out of Kamar Robertson, a guy that's been able to give you right around two assists, 1.6 deals per game, but he is someone that his play sometimes comes and goes as well, so I do think that you get a little bit more out of East Tennessee State, a team that 
is in the bottom 75 with regards to possessions per game versus more around that 250-ish mark. So both of these teams are relatively slow. I did wind up settling on a total of 135.5. As a result, I'm going to be taking a look at the under, but I do think that East Tennessee State, with having David Sloan, their main ball handler out there, is going to be able to get the job done, set them as a 4.5-point favorite, so laying the points and taking a look at the under. 681, 682 on the betting board. Creighton is going to be playing us to St. John's. The Red Storm are finding themselves between a 4 and 4.5-point underdog in your total on this game. You're getting it at a 149.5 to 150, and I did wind up making this total 151.5. You've got a St. John's team that ranks in the top 20 with regards to possessions per game. I do recognize that we have seen a little bit more of a slow and controlled tempo out of Creighton, but you know that this is a team that at their core, they are looking to run a little bit more, and then you take a look at St. John's, and the duo of Posh Alexander and Julian Champagny is very prolific out there in the backcourt. Champagny, 21.5 points, 7 boards, 2 assists, 2 seals, 1.3 blocks, shooting 40% from 3, and then Posh Alexander. Not a great 3-point shooter, but about 5 assists, 2.5 seals, and 15.5 points per game. And Dylan Adiwosu is someone that you need to be taking note of as well. 10.5 points, 4.4 assists per contest. You take a look at him, 17-plus points in 3 of the team's last 4 games. He has had 5-plus assists in 3 of those games as well. Been able to do a good job would be able to notch some steals, and then down low, you're able to get right around five and a half rebounds per game out of Joel Soriano, who's able to protect the rim with right around two blocks per contest for Crane. You've actually got some good rebounding on this team. Ryan Hawkins along with Ryan Kalkbrenner. These two guys are combined to be able to give you 14 and a half rebounds per game. They're combining for about 25 and a half points per game as well. And for Hawkins, he shoots 37 half percent from three. Big thing with Creighton is they rank right around 200 with regards to possessions per game. 14.7 turnovers per game. I think that that's going to be a big giant issue. St. John's is a team that they can be a little bit sketchy with regards to their defense, but when they wind up getting seals, they are very lethal. And I think that Creighton is going to be turning the ball over left and right. Ryan Nemart has been registering right around three and a half turnovers per game. 12 and a half points. Shot about 33% from three, but that's a little bit of an issue. And then you take a look at Mr. Arthur Kaluma. Eight points, four and a half boards, and he gives the team 2.7 turnovers per game. He's had at least three turnovers in each of the team's last three games while scoring seven points or fewer in each of the last three. I have no idea why he's getting minutes right now, so that is a big, giant issue. Uh, the team has to wind up overcoming, and I do think that St. John's has much better depth, and I do think that they're going to be able to get the job done on the road. Set them as a one and a half point favorite, so I'm going to take them on the money line. So I wound up setting at a 151 and a half as well. St. John's has done a great job of being able to speed so many teams up, so I'm going to be taking a look at the over, and St. John's on the money line, bypassing the four points. 683, 684 on the betting board. Better the Pedeso is going to be playing us in Northern Iowa. Northern Iowa, a four and a half point favorite, and your tolerance game in between 138 and a half and 139. We're going to be going with another money line underdog. We're going to be going with Valparaiso in this spot. I recognize that you've seen Northern Iowa be able to play a little bit better, but for Valparaiso, I do think that you've got a difference maker here in the Wisconsin transfer, Kobe King. 14 and a half points, 4.8 boards, shooting 39% from three ever since he became eligible about nine or so games ago. Ben Cricky has been able to do a terrific job for this team. He and Sheldon Edwards have been able to combine for about 25 and a half points, seven rebounds. You got Edwards shooting 34.5% from three, and then Kavion Taylor shoots 42% from the outside with 10.5 points per game. You don't necessarily have that one set facilitator with this team. If there is one, perhaps it's the other Wisconsin transfer in Trevor Anderson. Two and a half assists, four boards, seven points per game, and then Thomas Kithier down low is able to give you right around six half boards and a steal per game. So all these guys will be able 
do a solid job. And then you take a look at Northern Iowa and A.J. Green, 18 points, 2 assists, shooting 35% from 3. All in all, this is a Northern Iowa team that they shoot 76.5% at the charity stripe, 35.5% from 3-point range. I do like the way that Noah Carter has been able to perform this season. He has given the team at least 15 points in each of the last 5 contests, so he has really been able to come on recently, but I do have my question marks when it comes to the team's rebounding. Trey Barrow is right now leading the way with 5.1 rebounds per game. Now Nate Hesse has been able to give the team some relatively solid contributions as well. 10 plus points in now 8 out of the team's last 11 games. So has been able to step up with that regard. 5 plus boards in each of the last 4 as well. But you really don't have that one set facilitator for the team. Bowen Bourne and it's 2.2 assists per game right now leading the way. So you've got a lot of isolation. You don't necessarily have a ton of rebounding. The 3 point shooting can come and go. And I do think that Valparaiso actually get a matchup very well. I think that Valparaiso is going to do a good job of slowing down what has been a Northern Iowa team that has really been looking to kick things up. Northern Iowa, typically a bottom 50 team with regards to possessions per game. They're now more around the college basketball average, which I find to be intriguing. Did mind saying this little 136. I'm going to be looking at the under Valparaiso. They saw a free throw shooting team in their own right, right around 73%. So I do think that they'll be able to get the job done there. And I think that with having out their Kobe King and company, Valparaiso gets it done on their home floor. Took Valparaiso on the money line, and I'm going to be taking a look at the under as well. 685, 686 on the banging board. LSU hits the road to face off against Alabama. Alabama is a 2.5 point favorite. Charles game is anywhere team 146 half at 147 half. Ladies and gentlemen, you've got the Alabama men of mystery right here, and I'm on saying the men of mystery as a three-point favorite. I do take a look at this Alabama bunch, and I think that they're going to be able to get the job done against an LSU team that has not been shooting it well from three, and they've been dealing with injuries to Xavier Pinson. You take a look at Alabama, you only shoot about 32% from three-point range, but you do have a front line that has been able to shoot relatively solidly. Keon Ellis, Jaden Shackelford, they combined to be able to shoot about 36% from the outside. They've been combining for 29 points, a little bit over 12 rebounds per game, and then Javon Quinterly really runs the offense. 15 points, 4.2 assists per game. This has been an Alabama team that has really been able to excel at home and then on the road. Things have not necessarily been terrific. That loss to Davidson, by the way, was outside of Tuscaloosa. It was a little bit more of a random game, so there's that aspect of it. I do think that LSU is going to be able to do a good job down low. Terry Eason has really been able to take off for this team. 15.5 points, 7 boards oftentimes is coming off the bench and just gives this team a lot of explosiveness, but when it comes to this LSU team, they are a team that they are going to turn the ball over themselves. They've committed right around 14.5 turnovers per game now. They do a good job being able to generate 12 steals per game, so I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a sloppier game because Alabama, they commit right around 13 turnovers per game as well, but not having Pinson in the fold, I do think, has affected this team a little bit. If he does wind up going in this game, certainly not going to be 100%, and he himself, when he was out there in the last three games that he wound up playing four four and six turnovers so that is something that LSU is going to need to overcome now you take a look at what you're able to get out of someone like an Alex Fudge five points four boards he's actually been relatively solid for the team and Efton Reed is a seven footer that's legitimately shooting 45 and a half percent from three-point range but you got to figure that Eric Gaines is going to be a big part of the fold of this team as well he's had four plus turnovers in four of the team's last five games at least three in every one of them he has given the team eight points or fewer in three of those games so I do think that LSU is going to be just running into a bad matchup here against Alabama Alabama it's been a little bit of a different team at home. Now, LSU, number one in the country with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. Both of these teams do play up-tempo, so I wound up saying this total at 147. 
with having between 146F and 147F available, I'd rather take a 146F over before a 147F under personally, so I'm going to be looking there. Now, the Alabama made them a three-point favorite, so I'm going to be willing to lay the number here to go along with this total over at 146F. 687, 688 on the betting board. The Citadel is going to be in the road to face off against Wofford. The Terriers are a 13.5-point favorite. Your drawing scheme is 147. Now, the Citadel is a team that I've never necessarily been bullish on. I felt like they got a bit overrated after they wound up having that win against Pittsburgh. I do think that we went a little bit too far here because I've been a tad bit disappointed by Wofford as well. I was expecting some good things from Wofford. This is a solid team. You've got BJ the back truck who's able to give you 15.5 points, 5.5 rebounds, been able to shoot about 48% from three-point range. Isaac Bigelow is able to give you 5.5 rebounds per game. Ryan Larson just does it all with right around 9.5 points, four boards, four assists, shoots 42% from three. And this is a Wofford team that they generate 7.5 steals per game, but on defense, this is a team that they have not necessarily been crisp and and you've got a Citadel team that they still rank in the top 40 with regards to possessions per game. They've just been in a little bit more of a swoon when it comes to their offense. They're shooting about 66.7% the free throw line, but Hayden Brown does a good job of being able to substitute the stat sheet. 18 points, 8.3 rebounds, 2.8 assists, a little bit over a steal per game, so has been rock solid for this team. And then you take a look at what you're able to get out of Jason Roach. 14 points, 4.5 boards, a guy that shoots 43% from three-point range. He's given the team at least six rebounds in each of the last three games, so has been rock solid there. And for the Citadel, Despite playing at such a high tempo, they only turned the ball over 12 and a half times per game. That is really impressive. Tyler Moffey, Rudy Fitzgibbons, these guys have been able to give you right in the neighborhood about 18 and a half points per game. You have Fitzgibbons being able to shoot 36.5% from three-point range. And then when it comes to Wofford, just not necessarily a lot down low that should be able to keep the Citadel live in this game for the Citadel. They have been playing relatively competitively. I mean, you take a look at their last five games. They've only won one of them, but you had one loss of more than seven points. So they've been able to do a good job of being able to hang around. Wofford is a team that they do give up quite a few points. So I did wind up saying this total at a 148.5. I'm willing to go over here. And with the Citadel, made them more around 11.5 point underdogs. So we'll take 13 plus here. 689, 690 on the bank board. Georgia Tech is going to be playing us to Wake Forest. Wake Forest, a 2.5 point road favorite. And your tolerance game is 140.5. With Wake Forest, I did wind up saying them as a five point favorite. This is a Georgia Tech team that I think that they're just going to be up against it. I do like what you're able to get out of Michael DeVoe. DeVoe has been amazing for this team as he's been able to chip in their 19 and a half points per game from three point range. He is shooting at 40 and a half percent, but also had just two points in the team's last game against UNC. Really not an injury concern, just a really, really bad game in general. But when he's not going, there's really nobody else Georgia Tech is able to rely upon. It seems as though they're most likely going to be without Rodney Howard again. And even if he is in, he's probably going to be banged up and unable to give this team a lot of a lot because even when he's been out there, six points, five and a half boards and a block per game, that's just not necessarily cutting it for this team. This is a bunch of which they just don't have a lot of depth in general. Dallin Coleman has been able to step up a little bit more recently for this team. He's shooting 45.5% from three-point range to combine five seals in the last three games, but a guy that's only giving you right around six points per game. You've been noticing that this team has been really hoping for a little bit more out of Tristan Maxwell. A sophomore has come on in the last four games. He wound up having 22 points against Boston College, but very much a streaky player himself. Jordan Usher, 15 points, 7.5 boards, shoots 36.5% from three-point range, but lack of depth is certainly going to be costly. And then you take a look at Wake Forest, and Alondis Williams needs to cut down on the turnovers. You take a look at it, and he has had at least five turnovers in each of the last four games. With that said, though, he has also been able to give this team at least 14 points in each of the last five games, shooting 32% from three overall this season, 20.3 points, 6.8 boards, and five assists per game. So, 
he is able to do a lot. He needs to trust in guys like Jake LaRavia a little bit more, who comes in from Indiana State, 15 points, 6 boards, 3 assists, shoots 35% for free. Davion Williamson makes 90% of his free throws, 38% of his threes, 12.5 points per game for him, and it's a Wake Forest team that you do wind up getting right around 6.5 seals per game. They've been doing a good job with their defensive intensity. Dallas Walton is a guy that stands 7 feet tall. He's been able to give you right around 5.5 boards, 8 points per game. He's able to shoot threes, doesn't necessarily shoot them well, but at 7 feet tall, very versatile player. I think that Georgia Tech just not having bodies in general to be able to rotate is going to be tough. Wake Forest is a team that they haven't necessarily excelled on defense. They've been playing a little bit more up-tempo, so they might have saying this little 145.5. I think that they're going to try to tire out Georgia Tech. I think that they're going to succeed with it. So, going over and with Wake Forest, one lay up to five with them. So, laying the point, 691, 692 on the bank board. Virginia Tech hits the road face-off against NC State. NC State is finding themselves a 2 to 2.5 two point home underdog in your tallest game. Same between 138.5 and 139. And when it comes to NC State, I did wind up setting them as a four-point underdog. When it comes to Virginia Tech, they wound up losing the first time these two teams wound up playing. So I do think that they're going to be out for revenge in that first matchup. It was 68-63. to 63. Virginia Tech just could not get a whole lot flat going with regards to being able to force turnovers. NC State, just nine turnovers in this contest. And they had Deron Sebron be the best player in the game. 21 points, 10 rebounds. That's darn near his season averages. And you take a look at what you've been able to get out of Terquavian Smith. And he has been nothing short of remarkable for this NC State team. When you take a look at him, he has been able to give this team 14-plus points in pretty much all but one of his games ever since the turn of the month of December. So he has been just doing an absolutely amazing job for this team. A guy that isn't necessarily the world's greatest three-point shooter, but 35.5%. Certainly going to fly there. And then you take a look at what you're able to get down low. That is the issue for NC State. Ebenezer Duwana is able to give you right around 4.7 boards, 4.5 points per game. So he needs to be able to give you a little bit, but don't have a lot of depth when it comes to this team. Cam Ace is someone that has been able to give this team 8.5 points per contest, but is shooting just 23% from three and has had four points or fewer in four of the last five games. And then Take a look at Virginia Tech and Justin Mutz just does it all for this team. 10.5 points, 7.5 boards, 3 assists. Shoots right around 33% from 3-point range. So a guy that really does a good job of being able to self the sad sheet. Storm Murphy is someone that is able to be relatively efficient as well. Nearly 3 assists. Shoots 40% from the outside and has been able to give the team double figures for the last 5 games as well. But the guy that I really look to have a big shooting performance, Hunter Couture. I was expecting a little bit more out of him. 9.5 points, right around 4 boards. He does shoot 43% from three-point range, but I do think that he's going to come out, have a big game in this one. Kevin Aluma, 16 points, 6 half boards, should be able to run things down low. I do think that Virginia Tech is going to be able to get their revenge after NC State wound up shooting about 9 to 23 from three-point range first time around. NC State overall for the year shoots 32% from three. I think that Virginia Tech going to do a good job of being able to guard the outside. Set this total at 138 and a half. So here at 139, going to be taking a look at the under. And with Virginia Tech, willing to lay up to four with them. So laying the point, 693, 694. Postpone game between Toss 8 and Temple, so we go to 695-696 on the betting board. Louisville is going to be playing us Boston College. Boston College between a 6.5 and a 7-point underdog in Utah's game, saying between 135.5 and 136. Now, when it comes to Louisville, I am hearing that there is a lot of dissension in the locker room with this team. There might be guys that wind up transferring, but you take a look at Boston College, and boy, this team is not good. You do have the Lankfords and Amir Lankford Jr. along with Makai Ash and Lankford. A combined 23.5 points, 8 rebounds, 5.8 assists. 
2.4 steals per game, but they both shoot sub-30% from three-point range. All in all, this team does shoot 34% from the outside. Jaden Zachary has been able to shoot 51% from three-point range and an half points per game. I do like what he's been able to bring to the table. And Brevin Galloway, still healthy for this team. He's been able to give the team double figures in each of the last three games, so he's been able to step up for this bunch, but you don't necessarily have a deep rotation when it comes to this team. And for Louisville, I mean, what more can be said about Samuel Williamson? He's been a big, giant bustaroni. Six points, four and a half boards. You got a Louisville team that they only shoot 31% from three, but they do a good job of being able to lock down from the outside. Malik Williams is able to give you eight and a half boards per game. He's been able to do a nice job down low. Now, I was expecting a whole heck of a lot more out of Jalen Withers. He has been able to give the team four and a half rebounds, but only right around 4.2 points per game. But the guy that is really stepping up for the team, L. Ellis, He's been able to give you 7.5 points per game, but double figures in now 5 out of the team's last 7 games, so he's been able to do a nice job of being able to sink some shots, shooting about 35% from 3-point range, no lock, 11 points, shoots 37% from the outside, you've got a bunch of which has a versatile player in Dre Davis, who's been able to step up as well, 7.5 points, 3.5 boards per game, he's been able to give the team 9 plus points in now 4 out of the last 6 games as well, and I do think that Louisville could afford some turnovers against a Boston College team that has been one of the slower teams in all of college basketball, just a Boston College team that even though they're very slow, they do allow a lot of open shots. Louisville has been very much a teeter-totter team all season long, but I do think that they're going to be able to get up off the mat. I think that they're going to be able to blow out Boston College in this game. Said the total 128, I'm going to be looking at the under of Louisville. I set them as a 12-point favorite, so we'll to lay the point. 697, 698 on the bang board. Ryder is going to be in the road face-off against Quinnipiac. The Bobcats are finding themselves as a 5.5-point favorite, and your total this game is anywhere team 142 and 143. Despite Ryder being one of the worst cover teams in all of college basketball, I can only make Quinnipiac three in this spot. Now with Quinnipiac, they are going to have the best rebounder in the game, and Kevin Marfo, a guy that actually led all of college basketball with regards to rebounds per game two seasons ago. He has come back and has been a really a good, versatile piece for this team. Right around 11 boards, he's able to chip in there 10 points, and actually leads the way with a little bit over 4.2 assists per game as well, but then you take a look at Ryder, and I do think that they're going to be able to hold it in this game because of their two main scores, and Avencio Vaughn along to White Murray Jr. These guys have been able to combine for about 25 points per game, 13 and a half boards, Got a guy in Vaughn who's been able to shoot about 38.5% from three-point range. They combined for three seals per game. And then I do think that Mervyn James is going to be able to turn it on. Nine points, five rebounds per game. You've also been able to get right around seven boards, seven points per game out of Ajiri Oguamo Johnson. He has been a little bit more hit or miss down low for the scene, but has now been able to give the team at least six rebounds in each of the last three games, so he's been coming on a little bit late, and this is a Quinnipiac team that really, other than Marfo, you don't have a lot of help down low. You've been able to have Matt Blonich do a solid job. He's been able to pump in there a little bit over 15 points per game. I'm waiting for a little bit more out of Jacob Brigoni, right around 9.5 to 10 points per game of the fifth year, gentlemen, but for Blonich, he's a guy that shoots 40% from three-point range, and Tyrese Williams has really caught my eye as well. Another guy that shoots right around 40% from the outside, but has had eight points for fear in each of the last five games. So it's a Quinnipiac team that they're a bit strange. They're not necessarily up-tempo. They're not necessarily efficient, but they're not necessarily inefficient either. This is a Ryder team that they've been playing a little bit slower themselves. So I did wind up setting this total at 141. I'm going to be taking a look at an under in this spot. And when it comes to Ryder, want to make them a three-point underdog. So we'll take five plus here with the Broncos. 689, 700 on the bank. 
Newport, Rhode Island is going to be playing with the LaSalle. The Explorers are exploring a cover as a 13-point underdog in your Toronto's game. Sitting between 138.5 and 139, and when it comes to LaSalle, wound up setting them as an 11.5-point underdog. This is far from an impressive LaSalle team, but at the same time, they've been able to do a relatively solid job of just being able to have guys be able to know their role. They've been dealing with Jamari Brakis being out of the fold the last few games, but you do have Josh Nickelberry. 13 points per game. is able to shoot 36% from three-point range now with Brakis, a guy that shoots 39% from the outside. Wound up playing limited minutes against St. Joe's, a guy that traditionally plays right around 27 minutes per game. Wound up returning in that game for 17 minutes, just two points. So I think that he's probably going to play, but it's not going to be 100% in this game. When it comes to Jack Clark, nine and a half points, five boards, a low 33-point shooter as LaSalle. As a collective, they shoot 33% from the outside, 68% at the free throw line. What I think is going to be big, getting a little bit of rebounding out of Christian Ray, guy that's been able to give you a little bit over seven rebounds per game because you've got yourself the Mitchell brothers and Mackay and Mikel Mitchell. These two guys have been able to combine for 21.7 points, 11.5 rebounds per game, and then you do wind up getting 2.7 blocks per game out of Mikhail Mitchell. He has been terrific, and then Mackay is able to shoot 37.5% from the outside Rhode Island. One of these slower teams in all of college basketball, they do commit 14 turnovers a game, but they shoot 37.3% from three-point range. Among players that have made at least one three-pointer this year, all five of them shoot at least 37% from three with regards to points per game score, including Ishmael Elamine, who shoots 51% from the outside, 92.5% the free throw line, but this is a team that has been playing relatively slow. Jalen Carey is someone that has been dealing with ailments as well, has been able to return to the fold for the team, but has had a combined five turnovers in 31 minutes with just 16 points in its two games since returning, so I actually think that that might disrupt the flow that this team winds up having a little bit more, and for LaSalle, I do think that these pieces are starting to meld together a little bit more. I think that it's going to be a little bit of a low-scoring game. LaSalle, a little bit more of an up-tempo team, but they've been able to prove that they're a relatively solid defensive team, but an offensive team that they've got a little bit of work to do. So I do wind up saying this at all 134.5, one to dive under. And with making this line 11.5, I'm going to be taking the points in this spot when it comes to LaSalle. 701, 702 on the betting board. You've got yourself Marquette, and they are going to be in the road to face off against Villanova. Wildcats are finding themselves as a 12.5 to a 13-point favorite. And your tallest game is anywhere between 139.5 and 140. Was talking about this with our good friend Sean Paul. And do I think that we're going to get the jugular here from Marquette? No, but I do think that they're going to be able to hold in this game and be able to cover this number. I wound up saying this at an 11. I do have concerns about Villanova covering this big of a number just because they are in the bottom 25 in all of college basketball with regards to possessions per game. Marquette has been playing a little bit more of the Avix Island. They don't necessarily come up with a ton of seals. Right around 7.8 per contest, they've been a little bit better recently, but I do like the way that Tyler Kolick has been able to dole off the ball. 6.4 assists to 2.7 turnovers per game. Guy that gives you only about 6.5 points per game. And really, it's been a lot of rebounding by committee. You've got Kirk Keith down low. May able to give the team 3 blocks, 4.5 boards per game. And the only other guy that gives you more than 4 rebounds per game, top scorer Justin Lewis. 15.5 points, 7.5 boards. He hasn't shot it well from 3, but you do have Daryl Marcel shooting 39% from 3. And Cam Jones has been able to emerge recently as well. A guy that's only able to give you right around 8 points per contest, but is now shooting 38% from 3-point range. Has done some good things for the offense recently. And you take a look at Villanova, and you do have a little bit of a lack of depth now. I do like what I've seen out of Eric Dixon. He's been able to give the team 9.6 half rebounds per game, and you do have Jermaine Samuel.
Samuels, 10.5 points, 6.3 rebounds per game, but he has been very up and down recently. He's given the team 11, 18, 6, 0, and 14 points in the last five games. And in terms of rebounding, five or fewer in each of the last three games. Now, you do have to like what you're able to get out of Colin Gillespie. 17 points per game. She's 41% from three, but he seems to fade away in big-time spots as well. Brian Antoine is someone that I thought was really going to be able to do good things when he wanted getting to Marquette. Has been banged up. Hasn't necessarily given the team a whole heck of a lot, so I do think that Marquette is going to keep this thing a game with Villanova just being so slow. I think that this is going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game. Villanova has also done a solid job of being able to guard the arc. Set this hold at 135. I'm going to be looking at an under on Villanova. I think that they should be able to win this game rather comfortably, but made this number 11, so I'm going to be willing to take the points here with Marquette. 703, 704 on the betting board. Bradley is going to be in the road to face off against Drake. The Bulldogs find themselves a 7 point favorite in your tallest game. It is 136. I set Drake as a 9.5 point favorite. I'm willing to lay anything of single digits in the spot when it comes to Bradley. They've been a team that has been just a little bit strange this year. They are getting some Solid rebounding out of Rennick Mass, a guy that's able to give you eight boards, 10 points per game. Has been able to come on a little bit more with the three-point shooting. Overall, Bradley, they shoot 34.8% from the outside, but 64.7% the free line. We saw it against Illinois State. They wound up blowing a 20-point lead. Now, you have to be talented enough to be able to get up 20 points. You have to be incompetent enough to blow a 20-point lead with that as well. You have been able to have a guy in Malavi Leons be able to give you 10.5 points, six boards per game, and then Jay Sean Henry has been able to chip in their five boards and 10 and a half points per game himself. Leon's Barry's 43% of his series, and I will say Terry Roberts, the heart and soul of this backcourt. 16 points, 4.9 boards, 4.2 assists, 1.7 seals, shoots 39% from three, and Drake, I do recognize that this has been a really bad cover team. They have covered just two out of their last 14 games, but for Drake, I do like what I've seen overall from this team, because they've still been able to win a lot of games straight up. Roman Penn is now in the fold, a guy that's able to give you 3.8 assists per game, is a Wiley veteran out there in the backcourt. You've got Tramel Murphy, is key for this team, while Shaquan Hemphill, a guy that's able to give you right around 10 points per game, is the ultimate ailment. He's been able to chip in there right around 10 points, 5 boards per game. And then Tucker DeVries, son of the coach, has been able to give the team 13 points, 4.5 boards. He shoots 36% from 3. And all in all, I mean, Drake commits 11 after an arms per game. They shoot 37.5% from 3, 72.5% at the free throw line. I just feel like they got a little bit overvalued in markets. And now I feel like Bradley has gotten a little bit overvalued. I think that things are coming back on the Drake side a little bit. So I am willing to lay the points here with Drake, set them as a 9.5 point favorite. Do you mind if saying this? Total 134 and a half as well. Bradley, not necessarily a slow team, not necessarily a fast team, and Drake is a team that legitimately ranks in the t- bottom 100 with regards to possessions per game. So I'm going to be taking a look at the under in the spot, and anything of single digits, one to lay with Drake. 7 to 5, 7 to 6 on the bank board. Southern Illinois is going to be playing us Indiana State. The Sycamores are finding themselves as a 4.5 to a 5 point underdog in your total on this game. You're going to be finding it anywhere between a 135 and a half and a 136. Very interesting when it comes to the tempo of this game because you've got an Indiana State team that they have really kicked it up. And Southern Illinois, they're in the bottom 20 in all of college basketball. Indiana State has been dealing with a little bit of a skeleton crew due to COVID-19 concerns. But the good news is they have been able to get back quite a few of their guys. Cooper Neese is going to be good to go in this game. A guy that has been able to give you 15.5 points per game. First game back against Loyal Chicago. Only wound up being able to score 5 points in that game. But Indiana State was still able to hold in that game. So got to give them a lot of credit for that, and they do have a well-rounded piece in Cameron Henry, who's six foot six. It will give this team 14 and a half points, six boards, 2.9 assists, shoots 34% from three-point range, has pumped in there at least 17 points in three of the last four games. But 
I did wind up saying Southern Illinois as a five-point favorite, so I'm going to be willing to lay a four-and-a-half here because you do have Marcus Domask, who does a terrific job for this team. 16.5 points, 4.8 boards, 4.1 assists, shoots 40% from three-point range. Lance Jones, not a great three-point shooter, but a guy that's able to give you 14 points, four rebounds per game. Ben Copa Jr., 11 points, four-and-a-half rebounds per game. You don't have one dominant rebounder for this team, but you've had really four guys give you between four and 4.8 rebounds per game. J.D. Bowila is the other guy that's able to give you right around four-and-a-half boards per game, and then You've been able to have a 46% three-point shooter and Steven Verplanken Jr. be able to give this team some versatility. Now, he has scored three points or fewer in three out of the last four games, so certainly a hit-or-miss guy, but a guy that is able to stroke it from the outside with Indiana State. They're still going to be a little bit short-handed due to COVID-19 concerns as well. They are getting a little bit healthier, but at the same time, I do think that the backcourt of Southern Illinois is going to be able to prevail in this game. I do think that Indiana State, due to the fact that they've been dealing with a little bit of skeleton crew, going to be playing a little bit slower to be able to preserve their guys set the total at 133 so i'm going to be taking a look at the under and with southern illinois one we'll late to five with them so laying the four and a half here 707, 708 on the bank board. Oklahoma State is going to be playing us at TCU. TCU is signing themselves as a 5 to 5 and a half point underdog. And your tallest game is anywhere between 130 and a half and 131 when it comes to TCU. Set them as a three point underdog. So I'm going to be taking a look at the points in this spot. When it comes to TCU, this team is a top five team in all of college basketball with regards to percentage of their missed shots that they wind up getting an offensive rebound on. And Mike Miles has really impressed me. 17 points, four and a half assists, 1.3 seals per game. Now TCU, she's 31% from three point range. They do turn the ball for 14 times per game, but you do have some good rebounding when it comes to the team. Micah Peavy, 6.5 points, 5 rebounds per game. Damian Baugh has contributed 8.5 points, 4 boards, right around 3.7 assists per game. Now, the big thing with him is that he's got to cut down on the turnovers as he has committed at least 3 turnovers in each out of the last 4 games, but also a guy that has been able to give the team a combined 18 assists in the last 4 games as well. And then you take a look at someone like Francisco Farabello, who wound up getting off to a little bit of a rough start to the year. A guy that shot 45% from three last season, but has been able to pick it up a little bit more recently. A good glue guy. And then for Oklahoma State, huge win against Baylor, but still a team that I have my concerns with because they turn the ball over 15.3 times per game. They shoot 66.5% in the free throw line, 29% from three-point range. On defense, they are tenacious as Bryce Williams, Avery Anderson the third are both able to give you two steals per game, so they've been able to do a nice job there. Isaac Likely, 7.3 points, six boards, three and a half assists, steal and a half per game, so he's been able to do a nice job there. Bryce Thompson has been able to chip in their nine points per game, so you got a lot of solid pieces, but not really anyone that's able to take over an offense. You really don't have those outside presence. I mean, the guy that's really shooting the best from three-point range is Keelan Boone at right around 37.5%, so he's been able to do an okay job, but I think that the lack of outside shooting for Oklahoma State, the fact that they shoot so bad at the free-throw line, is going to be a little bit costly in this spot. Did wind up saying the total at 139. I'm looking at the over because Oklahoma State is a team that they rank in the top 50 with regards to possessions per game, but with that said, I do think that this is going to be a spot in which it's just going to be a little bit too tough for Oklahoma State to cover. Set them as a three-point favorite. So take a look at the points along with that over 709, 710 on the betting board. You've got Illinois State in the red face-off against Missouri State. Missouri State is finding themselves as an 11.5 to a 10-point favorite in your toss game. Say we're team 148.5 and 149.5 when it comes to Illinois State. Set them as an eight-point underdog. I've actually liked what I've seen out of Illinois State thus far. You wind up having a lot of question marks coming into the season, but Antonio Reeves has been one of the more underrated scores in all of college basketball. 21 points per game from the outside. He's firing it at a 43% clip. You've also got Josiah Strong, who has been very strong for this team. How about 13 points? 
three and a half boards, two and a half assists, shooting 48% from three-point range. He has been able to do a good job recently of dishing out the ball. 14 assists in the last three games. He has had at least 12 points in each out of the last five, so you do like to see that. Mark Freeman has been in and out of the fold a little bit. Seems like he should be good to go in this one after he played against Bradley. In 10 minutes, he had zero points, and honestly, that's for the better. This is a guy that is turning the ball over three times per game. He gives you nine points per game, so honestly, him being out of the fold is better because I like Howard Fleming Jr. a little bit more. A guy that had 11 points and five boards in that big comeback win against Bradley. And then you take a look at Missouri State and you do have quite a duo here in Isaiah Mosley along with Gage Brim. They combine for 33.7 points, 13 and a half rebounds, 4.3 assists, two steals, 1.2 blocks per game for Prim. And Mosley shoots 45.5% from the outside then Got a pair of guys that chip in there right around 10 to 10 and a half points per game in Jalen Minute along with Javonta Black. Both of these guys shoot a combined about 42% from three-point range, so they have been terrific. And Donovan Clay, a good mixer and shaker, 8.6 half rebounds per game. Got a Missouri State team that they do shoot 39.5% from distance, 78% the free throw line, but they're one of the most inconsistent defenses in all of college basketball. They've held South Dakota State already to 63 points this season. They also gave up 85 points in Northern Iowa, so I mean, it's a very hit or miss unit. I did wind up saying this total at a 152 because you do have an Illinois State team that they rank in the top 10 in all of college basketball regards possessions per game so I'm looking at an over. And when it comes to Missouri State, can only make them more around an 8 point favorite so going to be taking the points in this spot as well. 7-11, 7-12 on the betting board. Iowa's going to be hitting the road face off against Rutgers. Rutgers has find themselves as a 2.5 to a 3 point underdog in your total on this game. It is 151 and I made my total 149. Got a Rutgers team that they're always a very slow team. They rank in the bottom 75 with guards possessions per game and for Iowa. Always want to be concerned about this team whenever they're away from Carver Hawkeye Arena. I did wind up making them a favorite of six in this spot though. They looked impressive in their road win against Minnesota a couple days ago. Obviously when they went to Wisconsin, did not wind up going their way but having to play at the Cold Center is tough and right now I got the nation's leader in points per game in Keegan Murray. 24 points, 8.1 rebounds, steal and half, 2.1 blocks per game, shooting 36% from three and all in all. Iowa shooting 34.7% from the outside side. Chris Murray, brother of Keegan, about 10.3 points, five boards, a block per game. He has been terrific. Philip Bratch has been able to give you six rebounds per game. He'll be able to get some good facilitation of Joe Toussaint. This is an Iowa team that with regards to turnovers on a per possession basis, best team in all of college basketball, taking care of the ball. Meanwhile for Rutgers, they shoot 67% of the free line. They've got a home win to their credit against Purdue earlier in the year and I do like what I've seen out of Paul McCauley. He has been able to give you seven and a half points, four boards, 4.7 assists per game, so does a good job of being able to flow the offense. Also a guy that has committed a combined 13 turnovers in the last three games against Nebraska, Penn State, and Maryland. So that is a big issue right there. Ron Harper Jr., 16.5 points, 7 boards, stealing half, 2 assists per game, so he's been solid. And Cliff Amarui has been able to give you 11.5 points, 7.5 boards per game, so these guys have all been able to fire on all cylinders for this team, but I do take a look at what you're able to get on this Iowa team. I do think that they're going to do a good job of being able to take care of the ball. I do think that things get slowed down a little bit more, but I do think that Iowa is still going to be able to excel in that sort of a game, so I did wind up making Iowa a six-point favorite. We'll delay it here. I made this total 149. I do think that things are going to be a tad bit slower in this game, so take a look at the under, and we'll delay it here with Hawkeye. 7-13, 7-14 is the New York Post play of the day. Kentucky is going to be on the road facing off against Texas A&M. A&M, a 6-half to a 7-point underdog. Drawn's game is anywhere between 144 and 145. I have no idea why we got this high of a total. I set this at a 129 and a half. I recognize that neither of these teams are necessarily slow, but 
Got a Kentucky team that ranks in the top 15 with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. Texas A&M more around 26-ish, depending on what we wind up seeing Tuesday night. But you take a look at both of these teams, and they both do a relatively solid job on the glass because you do have Oscar Shibway for Kentucky. He has been absolutely tremendous. 16.5 points, 15 rebounds for Amen for Kentucky. Teams, whenever they play in true road games, get 16% of their misses as an offensive rebound. That's one of the best marks that you're going to find in all of college basketball. Now with Kentucky, they've been able to ramp it up with regards to the three-point shooting. Ty Ty Washington making 41% of his triples, 14.5 points, 4.8 assists per game. Xavier Wheeler, 10.5 points, 7.3 assists per game. You've got Kellen Grady shooting 46% from the outside with his 12 points per game, but you do take a look at Texas A&M. They don't necessarily have that one big-time rebounder as Tyrese Radford actually leads the team in rebounds with 5.4 per contest, but Henry Cole is able to give you 11 points, 5.3 boards per game. I do like what you've been able to see recently out of Aaron Cash as well. Six foot six, really good defender that's able to give you four boards. He gives you half a steal per game. Just a really good gritty guy. And then Quentin Jackson, about 13 points per game, about 39% three-point shooting. You've also got 49% three-point shooting out of Andre 3000. Gordon who's been able to give you eight and a half points per game. You got a pair of teams that have been solved with that regard for Texas A&M. With regards to turnovers for us on a per-possession basis, one of the best teams in all of college basketball. They generate right around 11 steals per game. So these two teams do it in various ways. Kentucky, really good on the glass. Texas A&M, good at being able to force steals. I think that both of these offenses are going to be relatively rudderless. I do think that Texas A&M is going to be able to hold in there on the home floor, by the way. Set this line at 5.5. I recognize Oscar Shibway is a very immovable force, but I do think that Marcus Williams, a guy that has been able to give this A&M team right around 4 assists, a little bit over 10 points per game, is going to be able to keep this team alive. He's been able to do a good job of dishing out the ball recently, has been able to give the team at least 5 assists in 4 of the team's last 5 games. So I'm going to be taking the under, and the New York Post pick is the total under, but when it comes to Kentucky, only made them a 5.5 point favorite, so I'm going to be taking a look at the points as well. 7.15, 7.16 on the banging board. Upburn is going to be playing us in Georgia. Uga is a 22-point underdog, and your total on this game is 153.5. And for Georgia, I set them as a 24.5 point underdog. This is just a really badly coached team, and you've got no weapons on this team, as you've got Braylon Bridges along with Cario Oquendo, both of these guys have been able to combine for 25.5 points, a little bit over 10 rebounds per game, so they haven't solved, but among the top three scores out there currently for Georgia. Nobody's shooting above 28% for three-point range. Jared Cook has been able to give this team six assists per game, but also turns the ball over three and a half times per contest. Now, Noah Bauman shoots 44% for the outside, eight and a half points per game, but he doesn't facilitate the offense at all. You've been looking to someone like a Jackson Etter for more minutes. He's giving you right around six points, three rebounds per game. So he has really been lacking a lot of We'll call what it is, anything in general. And then for Auburn, this is legitimately a top five team with Jabari Smith giving you 16 points, six boards, shooting 44% for three. Future top five pick in the NBA, Wendell Green, has been tremendous. 13 points, four boards, four and a half assists, seal and a half per game. Auburn, they four cents seals per game. They lead off college basketball with 8.3 blocks per game. Walker Kessler, his four blocks, leads all players in a power conference. He has been absolutely amazing. Zep Jasper, so they will give you three assists per game. This team really knows their role. And Alan Flanagan has now returned for this team as a Nessie been himself last year was the top returning score. He was able to give the team 14 half points, 5 half boards, but he has been able to give the team now 8 plus points in 3 of the last 4 games he has played in, so him being able to come back gives this team a little bit more added zeal. Do you mind saying this sold at 152 and a half? I'm going to be diving under just because I don't know if Georgia is going to be able to do their part with regards to the total, and you've got a Georgia team that they don't necessarily play super up-tempo, and Auburn has actually been really good on defense, and for Auburn, I'm willing to lay the 22 here, made them a 24 and a half point favorite, so I'm diving under, and I'm 
bottom line, the points. 717, 718 on the bank board. The X-Men, Xavier, hit the road face off against the Paul. The Pauls find themselves as a 6.5 to 7-point underdog. So this game is anywhere between 150 and 151. And when it comes to DePaul, I wound up saying them as a 5.5-point underdog. So I'm going to be willing to take the points once again when it comes to Xavier. I do like what I'm seeing out of this team. They have been doing a relatively solid job, especially with having to deal with the injury to Zach Fremantle. He has been able to come back, but he hasn't necessarily been 100%. He's been able to give the team right in the neighborhood about 8.5 points, 4.5 points. So, I mean, he's been solid, but Adam Kunkel has really been standing out to me. Uncle, is this guy good? As he's been able to give you 9.5 points per game, but take a look at him. Shooting 38% from three-point range. That's been terrific at true road games. Shooting 40% from the outside as well. Nate Johnson is able to shoot 46% from the outside. 12.5 points per game for him. Jack Nunch, 12 points, 7 boards, and then you've also got Colby Jones giving you 11 points. More like 8 rebounds, 2.5 assists per game. Then you take a look at DePaul, and for the Blue Demons, you have been able to have Javon Freeman Liberty really carry the mail for this team. 21 points, 7.5 boards, 3 assists, shooting 38.5% from 3-point range, but David Jones, whenever he's been out there, he has been terrific. 15.5 points, 8 boards per game out of him. Brandon Johnson, the transfer from Minnesota State with the small strings in the Union, 11 points, 7.5 boards. You are going to need a little bit more depth. Tyon Grant Foster, someone that they were looking to, wound up being ruled out for the season, but Jalen Terry, he's been able to come through for the team a little bit more recently. They wind up having a massive 28-point performance against Seton Hall a few games earlier. He did wind up having 14 points, 8 rebounds, and 6 assists against St. John's as well. Has been very much a hit-or-miss guy, to say the least, but he is able to hit big whenever he does wind up hitting. So, I mean, it's a spot in which I do think that Xavier should be able to go on the road. They should be able to get the job done. I've got my trepidations laying this big of a number, Xavier. They do shoot right around 72.5% the free throw line. They turn the ball over 13 times per game, so it's not necessarily that they're terrible. They're not necessarily great either, so willing to take the points here with DePaul. And when it comes to this total, I wound up saying my total a little bit lower in this spot. Made it a 145.5. Xavier has been relatively solid on defense, so dive in under and going to be taking a look at the points. 719, 720 on the betting board. You've got Virginia in the road faceoff against Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is finding themselves as a 3-3.5 three to three and a half point underdog in your Toronto's game. It is 116. Set my total at 118.5. Jamarius Burton has been able to give this Pittsburgh team a little bit more life on offense, and we're going to call it what it is. This is a Virginia team that they just aren't the traditional Virginia defense. They are outside the top 40 when it comes to points allowed on a per-possession basis, and I mentioned Burton a little bit earlier when I'm missing the first couple games of the season, but you take a look at what he's been able to do. He's had at least 14 points in each of the team's last five games, and when you just take a look at things in general, in every one of the games, ever since the beginning of the month of December, he's had at least 11 points in every one of them, so he has really been able to excel, and that's a 10-game sample size right there. I do like what he's able to bring to the table for this backcourt. John Hughley down low, 15.5 points, 8 rebounds per game. He's going to have to go up against Jaden Gardner, who's given Virginia 14 points, a little bit over 7 rebounds per game. Armand Franklin needs to get it going from 3-point range for this Virginia team, only shooting about 24% from the outside. Interestingly enough, he's actually been a little bit better on the road, scoring 14 points per game whenever he is away from Virginia, has been able to give the team at least 12 points in each out of the last 5 games. Not a guy that turns it over, and for Virginia, I mean, they only commit 10.2 turnovers per game, even with a really slow style that's relatively effective. Reese Beekman, Kia Clark, these two guys are able to combine for 16 and a half points, right around 7 rebounds. 
Beekman, 4.6 assists per game. Clark, more on 4 assists per game. And Clark shoots 39% from 3. All in all, Virginia, they shoot 32.5% from 3-point range. But I do think an X-factor is going to be catering Shadrick. He's been able to do a good job giving this team right around 2.5 blocks per game. A little bit over 5 boards per game. And I do think that going to be seeing a little bit more out of seven foot one, Francisco Cafaro, who's been able to do a good job being able to give the team right around 3.5 boards per game. He has been able to give the team a combined 15 boards and 21 points in the last two games. I think that he gets featured a little bit more. I do think that that is going to help Virginia be able to cover this number against the Pittsburgh team. Now let's call it what it is. They just haven't been that good this year. Set the total at 118.5. I'm willing to go over. I think that there's a good chance that both of these teams approach 60 points. And with Virginia, set them as a 4.5 point favorite. I just think that they are more talented in general than Pittsburgh. So, want to lay the points and I'm going to be taking a look at the over. 721, 722 on the banking board. Wyoming is going to be playing us to San Jose State. San Jose State, between a 17.5 to an 18.5 point underdog in your Toronto game, is anywhere between 140 and a half and 141. Now, the luster has really come off of San Jose State. I wound up making an adjustment with regards to my power ranking coming into this game, but even with that adjustment, I want to make in this line 14 and a half. With San Jose State, it certainly has been a sad state of affairs, but to bet Groner is back in the fold after he wound up missing a game or two. Comes in from Arizona. He shoots 41% from the outside, 8.5 points per game, and also factored into this, I wound up awarding a little bit more than 3 points for Wyoming's home court because it is at elevation, but Omari Moore, I think, is going to be able to have a good game. 13 points, 5.5 boards, 4.5 assists now. Turnovers have been an issue for San Jose State. A little bit over 13 of them for this team. Moore has committed more of them with 3.5 per contest, but you do have to also like the fact that you've been able to get right around 9.5 points, 5.5 rebounds per game out of Trey Anderson. They are likely going to be without Ibram Diallo, who winds coming in from Ohio State, but he's been able to do a solid job being able to get the team 4-plus rebounds in each of the team's last four games. And you take a look at the flip side for Wyoming, and this team has been incredibly impressive. Just wound up knocking off Utah State along with Nevada in back-to-back games. They're a team that they rank actually in the bottom 75 with regards to possessions per game, but they do shoot 36% from three-point range. Graham EK, terrific download. 20 points, 8.5 rebounds per game. Hunter Maldonado, Swiss Army knife point guard. 17 points, 6 boards, 6.5 assists. Provides size, 1.5 steals per game. And then you've got a 49.5% three-point shooter in Drake Jeffries. And it's not a cheap 49.5% as he takes right around 6.5 three-pointers per game. So give him a lot of credit. This is a team that depth is a little bit of an issue. Hunter Thompson and Long Brandon Wetzel are really the only two guys that coming off the bench for this team. So I do think that San Jose State is going to be able to help themselves out with that regard. I do think that this is going to be a game of which both of these teams are going to be a little bit colder from three-point range. I think that San Jose State going to ratchet up the defense after UNLV absolutely torched them. So I'm going to be taking a look at the under in the spot, set this total at a 134. And with Wyoming, made them a 14.5 point favorite. So looking at the points here with San Jose State, this is the last game on the normal Las Vegas betting board before we get the extra games. 723, 724, staying out there in the Mountain West. You've got New Mexico in the road face off against Colorado State. Colorado State is a 16 point favorite in your Toronto game is 152.5 to 153.5. Made this total 156.5. Colorado State is not necessarily a super up-tempo team, but they do play relatively fast, and they are one of the most efficient offenses in all of college basketball. I recognize that they haven't necessarily looked the same ever since their COVID pause, but this is a New Mexico team that they themselves are giving up the points right now. They have given up at least 79 in three out of their four conference games. Now, this is a team that they are going to be dealing with a little bit of 
a depleted front court as you did wind up having Jethro Muscadin get into a serious car accident. And last I saw, he was in a coma. So thoughts and prayers to him. But Jamal Mashburn Jr. has been tremendous for this team. 18 points per game, shooting 35% from the outside. You've got Jalen House who's been able to give the team 16 points per game. KJ Jenkins is a guy that's able to shoot 39% from three-point range with House. 4.7 assists, a little bit over two seals per game. New Mexico has been lacking a little bit on defense. And this is a Colorado State team that they just don't turn the ball over. 10 turnovers per game. You've got David Roddy, who's just getting rowdy for the team, shooting 43% from three, 19 points, eight boards, two and a half assists, and a seal per game. You've also got Mr. Jean Donjay, who's been able to shoot 46.5% from three-point range. He is matched relatively well by Deshaun Thomas, who shoots 46.4% from three-point range. Jake might be able to give you 18 points, seven and a half rebounds per game. And then you've got Isaiah Stevens doing a great job at the point guard spot. Six assists, a one and a half turnovers per game. This is a Colorado State team that they shoot 81.5% from the free throw line, 39% from three-point range. I do think that New Mexico is going to be able to do enough to be able to hold in this game. I want to make this a two-touchdown spread. New Mexico, they're used to playing a little bit of a ruckus environment out there in the pit, so I do think that they are going to be a little bit unafraid there, and I do think that they've got enough backcourt firepower to be able to hang in there, but I do think that this is going to be very much an up-tempo and high-scoring game. Said this all at 156.5, so I'm going to be going over to go along with the points with New Mexico. Now we hit the extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. We go in Las Vegas rotation or with these as well. This begins with 306, 141, 306, 142. Army is going to be playing us American. American's an 8.5 point underdog and your total on scheme is between 137.5 and 139. We were talking about the Patriot League a little bit earlier with our good friend Sean Paul and when it comes to the hierarchy of the Patriot League, I can tell you right now, American is towards the bottom of it. It has been a sad state of affairs for them. They do have someone in Stacey Becton Jr. who does give the team 13 points, 4.5 boards, shoots 33% from 3-point range, but he has to do everything for this team. 2 plus seals in far the last 5 games, but you do take a look at this Army team, and though I still don't like their free throw shooting, they shoot as a collective 61% of the line, 32% from three. I do like Josh Caldwell along Jalen Rucker. These two guys have been able to combine for 29 points, a little bit over nine boards, 5.7 assists, right around three steals per contest. So these guys have been absolutely terrific. Charlie Peterson, great name. He's been able to give the team six and a half boards per game. Aaron Duart has been able to shoot about 39.5% from three-point range. You've got really good depth when it comes to this team. And for American, you just don't have that. Johnny O'Neill is a guy with six foot nine size. That contributes nine and a half points, five and a half boards, shoots 35% from three. But American, they shoot 68% of the free throw line, 31% from three, a little bit over 13 turnovers per game, despite the fact that they don't necessarily play super up-tempo. You do get right around five points per game out of Josh Alexander as well. He's been able to come on a little bit more recently. 12 plus points in each of the last two games, but I do think that Army is going to be able to lay it on American. American has been a team that just has not been able to put the ball in the basket all season long. They get a little bit careless with it as well. So this is a 136.5. I'm going to be willing to dive under. And with Army, was willing to lay up to 10.5 here. So laying the points. 306, 143, 306, 144. You've got UNC Asheville playing us in North Carolina. A&T, A&T is a 5-point underdog. Your total on this game and between 139 and a half and 140. North Carolina A&T is just not their normal self this season. You just haven't been able to get as much as you'd like out of Cameron Langley. Langley last year was tremendous for this team. He was able to give the team 10.5 points, 5 boards, 6.6 assists, 2.7 seals per game. It's here, 5.2 points, 1.5 seals per game, 5 assists, and he just has not been able to hit the broadside of a barn from 3. Shot 40% from distance last year, 19% this season, and for North Carolina a this is a team that has a collective. They shoot 63.7% free throw line, 
a little bit over 31% from distance. You've been able to have Marcus Watson step up 12.5 points, 6 boards per game, and then Demetri Corden, 11.5 points, 4.5 boards, 1.3 steals per game. And this is a team in ANT that they do get right around 8.7 steals per game, but for UNC Asheville, they've done a great job of being able to take care of the ball, 12 turnovers per game. They shoot 37% from three-point range as Tejon Jones along with LJ Thorpe. They combine to be able to give you right around 21 points, 8 rebounds. Thorpe is able to chip in their 3.5 assists per game, so both of these guys have been terrific. Trenton Stefanini is able to give you right around 3.5 assists per game, too. And then Drew Pember, one of the top shot blockers in all of college basketball, 3.5 blocks per game. North Carolina Ante, just not going to have really much of a response for him. They don't do a great job down low, so I think that this is a bad matchup. And you've got a UNC Asheville team that has been middle tempo with regards to possessions per game, but they've been able to do a good job of being able to put the ball in the basket. And for North Carolina Ante, they've got a track record of really speeding things up when it comes to conference play. So set this total at 142.5. I'm willing to go over. And with Asheville, set them as an 8.5 point favorite, so we'll lay the points. 306-145, 306-146. You've got Hampton in the road to face off against Radford. Radford has signed themselves between 7 and 7.5 point favorites. Your tallest game is anywhere between 129.5 and 130.5. Radford, I wound up setting as a 9 point favorite. You've got a Hampton team that legitimately has two guys and really not a lot else. Najee Garvin has been able to give the team 16 points, 6 boards, right around a half a steal per game, and then Russell Dean, 12.5 points, 3 assists, shoots 33% from 3. Nobody else on this team gives you more than 6.6 points per game. Marquise Godwin really needs to step up for this team, but he has had 3 points or fewer in 3 out of the last 4 games for this team. That has been a big, giant issue. I haven't gotten a lot of D'Angelo Epps, a guy that gives you 4.5 boards per game, but he has had 4 points or fewer in 3 out of the last 5 games as well. And then you take a look at this ride for team, and it really is a whole is greater than the sum of its parts sort of approach, but Brian Hart, 9.5 points per game. He gives you a steal. He gives you right around 34% three-point shooting. All in all, Bradford, they do turn the ball over 16 times per game. They only shoot about 33% from three and 66.7% at the free throw line, but you take a look at the Hampton bunch, and they don't commit a lot of turnovers with 12 and a half per game, which is solid, but they shoot 27% from three, 69% at the free throw line. They don't get takeaways. They really don't get rebounds. You've got a pair of teams that you really don't have that star player, but with Bradford, they just seem to play better as a cohesive unit. Their defensive efficiency is significantly better. They wind up saying the sold at 131. I'm willing to go over because Hampton has been playing much slower than in past years. I do think that they're going to try to crank up the tempo a little bit more in this spot, but with Radford, I just think that they do a better job of being able to play with their style of everyone, just knowing the role. Set them as a nine-point favorite, so we'll lay the points and take a look at the over. 306-147-306-148. Maine hopes to not get Maine as they hit the road face off against UMass Lowell. Lowell is a 12.5-point favorite. Drawing this game is 130 for Maine. They've actually been able to do a better job on offense. North of 60 points in each of the last four games but this is still a main team that with regards to points on a per possession basis they rank in the bottom 15 in all of college basketball they're going up against a UMass little team that they're not necessarily too up-tempo themselves and when it comes to this UMass little team Everett Hammond the transfer from USC Upstate has been able to do a terrific job with right around 11 points 3.5 rebounds per game I do like what you're able to get a 38.5% three-point shooter Khalil Thomas who's been able to pump in their 10.5 points 4.5 rebounds per game and then you are able to get 10 points 6 boards out of Max Brooks as well this is a UMass little team that they do create right around eight steals per game, and you've been able to have Connor Withers, who has been really limited this year, be able to do a solid job whenever he's been out there. He was able to return in mid-December. He has been out of the fold the last few games, but even without him, you've been able to have someone like an Alan Blunt be able to step up. To put it bluntly, this is a guy that has been able to give the team at least four rebounds in each of the last five games. He's been able to do a better job of being able to shout the ball as well. And you take a look at Maine. Shane Duhart has been able to give the team 8.5 points per game, so he's been able to step up a tad bit more, and then you got the Hofstra transfer and Vukasin Masik, who's been able to give you
give you a little bit over eight points. He shoots about 35% from three, but Maine, they shoot 26% from the outside, 72% the free throw line, despite being in the bottom 50 with regards to possessions per game, 13 and a half turnovers per game. They shoot 40% overall from the floor. Not a lot of redeeming qualities to fan. Ingo is still out of the fold for this team. Top rebounder with right around six and a half boards per game. You really don't have another guy on the team that's able to give you more than four and a half rebounds per game. We've been looking to the Sunbelt transfer and Chris Efatui, who's only been able to give you right around three and a half boards per game, and he's now injured as well, so got a lot of issues when it comes to this main team. I did wind up setting UMass Lowell as a favorite of 15 points in this game, so I'm going late, and so this is total 123. I think that means run of 60-plus is going to be coming to an end here, diving under, and I'm going to late here with UMass Lowell, 306-149, 306-150. You've got yourself Charleston Southern, and they're going to be playing with high point. High point hopes to not be a low point as a six-point favorite, and your total on this game is anywhere between 137 half and 138, and when it comes to Charleston Southern, this is actually one of the more up-tempo teams in all of college basketball in terms of possessions per game. This team ranks in the top 40. They just aren't necessarily efficient in general, so it's a situation of something's got to give, and I do think that we're going to see quite a few points in this game. I set the total at 147, but even though I do think that we're going to see a lot of points, I think that it's going to be high point that is going to be making our good friends Charleston Southern the low point, because you do have a guy down low in Zach Austin, who's one of the better shot blockers in all of college basketball. He's been able to contribute just under three blocks per game, eight rebounds, 13.5 points per contest. You've got a high point team that they shoot about 37% from three, and they actually shoot better from three on the road than they do at home. And then you've got a stat sheet suffer in Mr. John Michael Wright. 19.7 points, four assists, 4.3 rebounds. Shoots 40% from the outside. He has been terrific in conference play. Has been able to cut down on the turnovers as well. Two turnovers are fewer in three of the last five games. And for Charleston Southern, they do get in a lot of trouble when it comes to turnovers. This is a team that they don't necessarily have that one terrific ball handler. You don't have a guy that really gives you more than two assists per game. As a result, 15 and a half turnovers per game to 12 assists per game. They shoot 28% from three-point range, 65% at the free throw line to Lee Chavez. When it's coming in from Iona, has been able to give you right around 10 and a half points per game. You have a guy in Sean Price that whenever he's out there is solid. Eight points, five and a half boards, two and a half assists per game, but he has been just all sorts of banged up. It looks like he's going to be out the fold for this game as well. And then you do have a guy that has been able to give you right around eight points, four and a half boards, and Caleb Clinton. Clinton has been a guy that has been able to give you a little bit less recently as well. Five rebounds or fewer in each of the last five games. Four points or fewer in each of the last four. So, big giant issue there. This is a spot in which I'm going to be looking at the over just because I do think that High Point is going to be able to take it to Charleston Southern and with High Point, set them as a nine-point favorite. So, want to lay the points and I'm going to be taking a look at the over. 306-151, 306-152. This Winthrop versus... Presbyterian game has been postponed. Nobody to be made here. So we move on. 306-153, 306-154. You've got USC Upstate. They're going to be in the red face off against Gardner Webb. Gardner Webb is finding themselves as an 11 point favorite. And your Toronto's game is anywhere team 143.5 and 144.5. When it comes to USC Upstate, I do mind it saying them as a 13 point underdog. You do have Bryson Mazzone, who has been in the zone all season long. 14 points, 4.5 boards, shooting 35% from three point range. He has been able to give the team double figures in each of the last five games, 16 plus points in four out of those five games as well. But when it comes to taking care of the ball. USC Upstate has not been able to do a terrific job of that. They turn the ball for 13.5 times per game. Now, they do shoot 37.5% from three-point range. As you got Dalvin White along with Jordan Ganey, these two guys have been able to combine to be able to shoot about 48% from three. Ganey, 12 points per game. White, only about 7.5 points per contest, but big thing for the team, you don't have a single guy giving you more than 4.4 boards per game of zone along with Josh Aldrich are able to do that. Then you take a look at Gardner-Webb and Kareem Reed down low should be able to eat their lunch. 11 points, 6 boards, block and a half per game. He's been able to do a 
terrific job with at least six boards in each of the last four games for this team. And then you take a look at what you're able to get out of the backcourt. Jordan Sears has been able to give out two and a half assists fewer than two turnovers per game. Now, his three-point shooting last year was 40%, more like 24% this season, but has been able to do a good job of not turning the ball over. And then you've got Demarion Williams, a guy that's been able to give this team 14 points per game. He's been able to shoot 40% from three-point range. And then you've been able to get a lot more out of Lance Terry, 14 points per game, only shooting about 30% from three-point range. But you take a look at what this gentleman has been able to do at home. He shoots more like 38% from the outside with 13 and a half points per game. So I do think that that's going to be very beneficial for Gardner-Webb. You've got an upstate team that they're neither fast nor slow. You've really got that with both of these teams. I think that Gardner-Webb is going to do a good job of holding USC upstate to one and none. Set this hold on 135, diving under. And for Gardner-Webb, made them a 13-point favorite. So one little eight here. 306, 155, 306, 156. Longwood is going to be playing us Campbell. The Lancers are finding themselves as a three-point favorite and your tallest game is 128. Wound up saying my total 126.5. Campbell is literally the second slowest team in all of college basketball with regards to possessions per game. Only team that has slower is Virginia, but I take a look at this Campbell team and I do think that there's a good chance that they are going to be able to hold in this game. Set this line at two and a half, so I'm going to take a three here with Campbell because you do have Cedric Henderson Jr. is able to give you 12 and a half points, six boards, shoots 38% from three-point range. Jordan Whitfield shoots more like 40% from the outside with 11 points per game. And I do like the facilitation that you get out of this team. Asus Calavero has been able to shoot about 31% from three, 5.1 rebounds, 4.1 assists, 11 points per game. So he does a good job of being able to just flow the offense in general. Now, he has had nine turnovers in the last two games, so that has been a little bit of an issue. And then you take a look at Longwood, a team that generates eight and a half steals per game. You've got Isaiah Wilkins, who comes in from the ACC, 13 points, six boards, shoots 44% from three-point range, 84% the free line, but Longwood overall, they shoot about 68.5% free line, 35.5% from three-point range. You've got Mr. Justin Hill, who's been able to get the same 11 points, four boards, four assists, shooting 34% from the outside, but very hit or miss in the last five games. He has scored 9, 8, 15, 24, and 6 points, so he certainly has been up and down with that regard, and has committed at least three turnovers in each of the last four games himself. You've got a little bit of something down low in Leslie and Kuhm, who's been able to give you four and a half rebounds per game, but his effectiveness has been waning a little bit. Not a guy that's doing a ton on offense as well. So I do think that Campbell, with their whole is greater than the sum of its parts approach, is going to be able to in there. You've got a Campbell team that they only get right around six and a half seals per game. So not a ton, but at the same time for their tempo, not necessarily bad either. Want to make this line two and a half. So taking the three here with Campbell, said the total 126 half with how slowly Campbell plays. Longwood is not necessarily a blazer either. So I'm going to be taking a look at the under and I'm going to be taking a look at Campbell catching the points. Three of six, 157, three of six, 158. Loyola Maryland is going to be playing us at Boston U. Boston U is going to be finding themselves as a pick in this spot with a total anywhere between 133 and 133.5. And May Boston U a four-point favorite with Loyola Maryland. I do like the way that Cam Spencer has been able to play in the backcourt. This is a guy with an assist-to-turnover ratio that is north of three while being able to give the team right in the pocket of about 19 points per game. He's able to pull in there about 4.8 rebounds, 3.5 assists with that efficiency. Shoots 90% the free throw line, by the way, and has scored at least 19 points in four of the team's last five games. So that has been incredibly impressive, but for Boston U, I think that Sukmail Mathan is going to be able to control things down low. Averaging a double-double, 14.6 points, 10 rebounds. Not a guy that's going to swat away a lot of shots or anything like that, but 18-plus points in four of the last five games, double-digit rebounds in each of the last three, Golden DK for this loyal Maryland team has been able to chip in their 6.8 boards, but gives you nothing on offense with right around 4.5 points per game. 
for Loyola as well. Even though Cam Spencer is highly efficient, this is a team that, as a collective, they commit right around 14 after an earthly game. They shoot 70.5% of the free throw line, 32% from three, and this is a Boston U team that they have been scuffling recently. This is a bunch of which they have lost four out of their last five games, but a lot of that is because you wind up having to play against Navy twice. This is going to be a little bit of a revenge spot as these two teams wound up playing about two weeks ago, and in that game, Loyola Maryland wound up winning by a count of 66 to 58 as Loyola Maryland in that game shot over 50% from the floor. You did have Boston U get out-rebounded by a count of 39 to 30. I think that that's going to be able to reverse itself, and what I think is going to be very key, Walter White being a little bit better than he was in game one. He had 9.6 boards in that game. Overall, he's been able to give the team 13 points, six half boards, shooting about 33% from three-point range ever since that game. He has scored double figures in every one of those contests, and for Loyola Maryland, you were able to get right around 12 points in that game out of Jalen Andrews. You can expect a little bit more out of him. 15 points, four boards, shooting about 30% from three-point range, but does generate two steals as well. He's had at least two steals in four of the team's last five games. So I did take a look at the spot. I do think the Boston U is going to get revenge, but I do think that you're going to get another lower scoring game. Set this all at 131. I'm diving under with Boston U. Set them as a four-point favorite, so taking them as a pick them. 3 of 6, 159. 3 of 6, 160. You've got Hartford, and they're going to be playing us in New Hampshire. New Hampshire is finding themselves as a two-point favorite, and your tallest game is anywhere between 139 and 139.5. And when it comes to New Hampshire, I wound up setting them as a three-and-a-half-point favorite when it comes to New Hampshire. This is a team that they rank in the bottom 30 with regards to possessions per game, but I do like the versatility of this season. Nick Gurorama has been able to do a terrific job whenever he's been out there. Has missed a game or two this season, but 13 points, 5 boards, been able to shoot 34% from 3. But how about what you're getting out of Jada Martinez? 15.5 points, 7 rebounds, shoots 48% from 3-point range. Now, he has scored a combined 10 points in the last two games. That's been a little bit of an issue, but still not turning the ball over. He averages right around 0.8 turnovers per game this team. They only generate right around eight and a half turnovers for game. So they are one of the best teams at all of college basketball at being able to take care of the ball. Blondo Chikongo has been able to pair up with Quan Murphy quite well. Quan Murphy has been dealing with a couple of injuries for this team. He's probably going to be out the full once again, but when it comes to Chikongo, he's been able to give you ten and a half points, four boards, four and a half assists, shooting 40% from three-point range, and being able to fill in for Murphy. You've had Josh Hopkins being able to do a relatively solid job for this team as well. Right around seven points, shooting 35% from the outside has been able to give the team 12 plus points in two out of the last four games now. Very much a streaky player, but when it comes to Hartford, this is a team that they've been all over the place themselves. As you've had Moses Flowers being able to give this team 13 and a half points, seven and a half rebounds per game, shoots about 32% from three-point range, so that's been solid. And then Austin Williams, he does give the team 15 points per game, but shoots above 59% free throw line, 14% from three. A classic guy in which he's going to give you like 15 points on 17 shots, so that's a big giant woe. And you take a look at this Hartford team. This is going to be the first game ever since December 22nd, so they're coming off of right in the neighborhood about a 28-day COVID pause. I wound up having to downgrade them a little bit in this spot for that as well. I think that they're going to be a little bit rusty with regards to their offense. I think that they're going to be slowed down. Don't know how we've got a total of 139 here given all this, so I'm going to be taking a look at the under semi total of 125 and FM for New Hampshire. Made them a 3.5 point favorite, so going to be willing to lay it here. 3 of 6, 161, 3 of 6, 162. Maryland Baltimore County, UMBC, is going to be playing us to Albany. Albany is a 5.5 to a 6.5 point underdog. So it's between 133 and 133.5. When it comes to Albany, I did wind up setting them as more around a 5.5 point underdog. So going to be taking a look at the 6.5. Even at 5.5, I would rather take the 5.5 rather than lay the 5.5 when it comes to UMBC. I've soured on this team a little bit ever since they wound up coming off of their pause. They have not been great. They have lost 3 out of their last 4 games, scoring... 
fewer than 69 points in three of those games. And then you take a look at Albany. This is a team that they've really been feasting on defense ever since they wound up getting that win against Boston College. The tide has been turning for this team as you do have a Temple transfer in Devondre Perry. He's been able to do a terrific job. 6 of 7 combo player, 13 points, 5 boards. Shoots about 32% from 3, but sealing after contest, 2 plus seals in 4 of the team's last 5 games. Has been able to do a combined 9 points in the last 2 games, but even with him being held with regards to his scoring, you do have other guys that you're able to look to. Someone like a Matt Ceruti along with Jamel Horton. Both of these guys have been able to give you 10 points per game when it comes to Ceruti. He's able to shoot 45% from 3 point range. And for Albany, among their top 4 scores, all of them shoot at least 70% in the free line. Now Albany, they also shoot about 29.6% as a collective from 3 point range, but you do have among your top scores, 5 of them giving you at least 0.9 steals per game, so they've been able to do a terrific job there. And then for UMBC, I was expecting a little bit more out of the transfer from DePaul along with Monmouth and Ray Selnoff. Only about 6 points per game out of him. He has been just a little bit of a disappointment. LJ Owens, he is shooting 47% from 3. He's been able to give the team 10 points per game. And then you take a look at Keontae Kennedy along with Daryl Rogers. These two guys have been able to combine for 24 points, 5 assists. They both shoot about 32.5% from 3. And for UMBC, they do shoot 77% of the line. UMBC has been looking to pump up the tempo. Albany looking to play a little bit slower. Set this total at 133.5. I'm seeing a 133.5 out there and a 133. Obviously, at the 133, I take a look at the over, but even with the hook, I'd be looking over before the under because I do think that we're going to have some late game following because I did wind up making this line 5.5. So, take a look at the points and the over in this spot. 306-163, 306-164. NJIT is going to be playing us in Vermont. Vermont is a 12-point favorite. Total this game is saying we're team 132.5 and 133.5. For Vermont, they have been on fire with regards to their offense recently. We talked a little bit about this with our good friend Sean Paul making the madness. I do think that they're going to get cooled down a little bit here. NJIT has been able to do a relatively solid job on defense. They are not a team that's necessarily going to go gunning it, but for NJIT, you really have two guys that are carrying the offense. That'd be Miles Coleman along Dylan Hearn. They're combining for 31.5 points, 9.5 boards, just under 4 assists per game, but they also turn the ball over 5.4 times per game. Now, Austin Butler has been able to get the seed 7 points, 4 boards, 3 assists, shoots 37.5% from 3, and O'Hearn, he shoots 38.5% from 3-point range. James Lee has been a nice revelation for this team, but has been inconsistent for this bunch. He has been able to chip in there at least 9 points in now 3 of the last 4 games, but only shoots about 23% from 3, is giving the team 6 rebounds per game, so has been able to do quite a bit down low, but for NJIT, a little bit of a thin rotation. Meanwhile, for Vermont, they have been just doing an absolutely amazing job with Ben Chungu bumping it in there as he's been able to give the team 14.5 points, 4.5 points, 2.5 assists per game, shooting 38% from 3-point range, 13 plus points in 4 of the team's last 5 games. He has been shooting it amazingly well from distance, and a guy that's been very efficient as Vermont. You take a look at them with regards to turnovers per game, 9.2. That's one of the best marks in all of college basketball. Ryan Davis with regards to points on a permanent basis. One of the best qualifying players in all of college basketball, 17.5 points, 6 boards, shooting 42% from 3-point range. You've been able to get 40% 3-point shooting and right in the neighborhood about 8.5 points per game out of Finn Sullivan. This guy's been able to emerge recently. A combined 39 points in the last two games. A guy that really doesn't turn the ball over as well. Vermont, a very well-rounded team with all these guards being able to come together. They're not necessarily the world's greatest rebounding team. I do think that things are going to get a little bit more sloppy in Vermont. Still one of the slowest teams with regards to tempo and all of college basketball. So, set this out at 130. I'm going to be taking a look at the under. And with Vermont 
set them as a 10-point road favorite. Going on the road and covering 12, it's still a little bit lofty, and NJIT does have some good front-end talent. So, one take 12, and I'm going to be taking a look at the under. 306, 165, 306, 166. Binghamton is going to be playing with Sony Brook. Seawolves are between a 3 and 3.5-point and favorite in your tallest game, saying we're team 142 and 142.5. When it comes to the Seawolves, I did wind up saying them as a favorite of more around 5 points, so I'm going to be willing to lay it here. When it comes to this Binghamton bunch, you'll be able to have Jacob Falco be able to step up for this team. 11.5 points per game. Binghamton has been shooting as a collective about 36.5% from three-point range. He hasn't necessarily been a primary reason why, but you take a look at Tyler Bertram along John McGriff behind him, and these two guys combine to shoot 38% from the outside, both give you 10.5 to 10.6 points per game, but it's a little bit of an issue for this team. You don't have a lot of rebounding. Christian Inkson along Ogioli. Equovo have been able to combine for about 11.5 rebounds per game. They do give you 11.5 points per game as well, and Hinkson has been able to shoot 44% from the outside, gives you a block per game, so these guys have been relatively solid, but Binghamton, a rather slow team, turns the ball over 13.7 times per game, and for Stony Brook, Elijah Olaney is now back in the fold. When Elijah Olaney was at Stony Brook two seasons ago, before going to Miami last year, he had 18.6 half boards and two assists per game at his peak. He has been able to return recently, and has been able to give the team double figures in three of the last four games that he has played in, so he has looked very good there. He is just coming off of injury, so you should be seeing more and more minutes as the weeks go along. You've also got Mr. Anthony Roberts, who's been able to get the team 14 points and four boards, so he only shoots about 30% from three. You do have Takai Green shooting 39% from the outside with 11.5 points, 6.5 rebounds per game, and then you've got a little bit of a versatile player in one, Felix Rodriguez, who's been able to give you 6.5 points per game, a guy that is really a backup point guard, is able to give you a steal per game, and then you've got Jaleel Jenkins, just under three assists, two steals per game, shooting 35% from three with a double-digit amount of points per game. I take a look at this spot, and I just think that Sony Brook is much more talented than this Binghamton bunch. I'm willing to lay up to five with them. And with this total, set it at a 135 with the way the Binghamton plays rather slowly, and Sony Brook, more of a mid-tempo team. So, going to be taking a look at the under, and I'm willing to lay it here with Sony Brook, 306-167, 306-168. is going to be in the road face off against Navy. The midshipmen are finding themselves as a 12.5 to a 13-point underdog in your turtle on this game. You're going to be getting it between 131.5 and 132, and comes to Lehigh. This is a bunch of which I did wind up making a 13-point underdog, so at a 12.5, I'm going to be willing to lay it with Navy. Navy has really been impressive, and for Navy, reinforcements are on the way for this team because they were dealing with an injury to Greg Summers. Now he should be back in the fold for Summers. He has been really the number two scorer for this team with 10.5 points, 5.5 rebounds, a little bit over two assists per game. He and John Carter Jr., top scorer for this team, combined for 2.5 steals per game. Carter Jr. shoots 42% from the outside, 13.5 points per game, makes 87% of his free throws on Navy. They shoot as a collective 34.8% from the outside, 79% at the free throw line. They generate 7.5 steals per game. One of these teams in which you've got a lot of guys like a Sean Yoder, Richard Njoku. Both of these guys give you a combined about 12 points per game. You've been able to get about 7 points, 4.5 rebounds out of Jalen Walker. All these guys just really do a good job of being able to know their role with Walker. He shoots about 43% from 3-point range. You've now got back in the full Patrick Dorsey as well, who was missing for the first part of the season. He's been able to get the team eight plus points in three of the four games that he's played in, shooting 44% from three-point range. So he has been solid. And then you take a look at Lehigh and then you've got the Wilsons. That'd be Jamero Wilson along with Marquise Wilson. Marquise has missed a few games, but he's now back at the fold for the team. But ever since he's returned, he has been all over the place in his four games. He has scored five, 17, six, and zero points all in order. And then you've got Jamero Wilson, 11 points per game, shoots 38% from three-point range. And Evan Taylor shoots 39% from the outside, 
14 points, 6 boards per game, but other than Dominic Perlin, say we'll give this team 5.5 points, 5.2 boards per game. You really don't have a lot of rebounding when it comes to this team. They're hoping for Tyler Whitney Sidney to be able to emerge. He's only been able to give the team right around 3.5 points per contest. Who is credit has been able to give the team at least 8 points in 3 of the last 5 games and 4 plus boards in each of the last 3, so he's been coming along for the ride, but for Lehigh, I think that they're just outgunned in this spot. Said this total of 129 Navy, one of the slowest teams with regards to tempo in all of college basketball. Lehigh, they're not looking to get out there and gun it either, so I'm going to be taking a look at the under in this spot, and one lay up to 13 of Navy, so going to be laying the points, so we wrap things up with 306-169, 306-170. You've got Bucknell, and they're going to be playing with Colgate. Colgate is finding themselves a 9-point favorite, and your tallest game is 151. With Bucknell, I made them an 8-point underdog, because I do think that Bucknell is going to be able to do a relatively solid job down low. You've got Alex Zimmerman along with Andre 3000 screen. These two guys give you a combined 19.4 points, 12.5 rebounds per game. Screen is able to give you a block per game, and then you've got Xander Rice along with Andrew Funk giving you the funk. They combine for 34% three-point shooting. Rice, 11.5 points, 3.8 assists, and 1.2 steals per game. Funk, 18 points per game, so these guys have been terrific. Don't have a ton of depth with this team. You need someone like an Alvin Edmonds, the fourth, to be able to step up a little bit more, but when he's on, he's on. Edmonds, the fourth, shooting 40% from three-point range and for Colgate. Nelly Cummins has been a coming along for this team. He's been able to give them 16.5 points per game, 3.5 assists. Big bugaboo with him has been turnovers. Yes, he has committed at least three turnovers in three out of the last four games. Jack Ferguson has been able to shoot about 39% from the outside. Cummings more around 44% from the outside. Ryan Moffitt has been able to give you 9.5.5 rebounds per game, but really, other than Keegan Records, who gives you 6 rebounds per game, it has been a little bit tough for the team on the inside, as was mentioned by Sean Paul. Jeff Woodward has been able to give the team only about 4.5 rebounds per game. I thought that he would be able to take a bigger leap for the team. Now, 5 plus boards in each of the last 4 games has been relatively encouraging, but Colgate is not necessarily a team that plays overly up-tempo. They're outside the top 150 with regards to possessions per game, but Bucknell's not necessarily great on defense, and Colgate has actually been very efficient on offense, and if this winds up coming down to late game following, because I said the spread at 8, Bucknell, they shoot 79% the free throw line, Colgate, more around 70.5%, so made this total 152, I'm looking at the over, and for Colgate, made them an 8-point favorite, so gonna be taking a look at 9 here with the bracket bust and bison, and that'll wrap things up for the Wednesday edition of Coast to Coast Hoops, now part of the VEASAN family of podcasts, a big thanks to our man, John Paul, over there with the Field of 68 and the Making the Madness podcast for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Hoops, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, want to have you for this podcast, you've got one or two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at Jaren Squirty1. Keep in mind, letters M. Maybe does not matter, so as per usual, please just send these into the timeline, and the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. Find that five-star review. Going at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season, which means I will be coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you.